0: I know. I gotta find a way to Elsa. You know what I mean? Okay. Listen. First of all, Matthew, mm. let's yeah, we'll skip that.
1: I've never seen Frozen, and I have no desire to see Frozen. Why? It just hasn't really crossed my path. Why? Well, the last musical I saw was Moana.
0: So why would you see Moana but not
1: Frozen? Because a a beautiful woman said, "Hey, Robert, I want you to watch Moana." And let me know what you think. And no beautiful woman has told me to watch Frozen.
0: So, but I'm a beautiful man telling you to watch Frozen. Wow, That's, uh, you're really humble too. <laughs> <laughs> no, listen. So I worked at a summer camp, right? right? So I would see these these movies with the kids, mm-hmm. and um, would they have like screening nights? They set up like a big projector? Well, it's it's just inside. Yeah. <laughs> okay. It's actually kind of just a shitty small TV. They can't afford a projector, but um. It took, I didn't see it until I think a year, two years after it came out. But when I first got to Korea, the little Korean children were singing "Let It Go" and "Do You Want to Build a Snowman" in broken English, and it's the most adorable <laughs> thing. Uh, but no, so I, I finally, when I got back to the states, I was at this this summer camp and and I saw it, and it was delightful. So it is a good movie. It's a good movie. Okay, check it out.
1: I'm going to wait on that. Probably not going to do it. Um, so for our listeners, um, I am talking to Matthew Willits right now. He's a second year student of the Ohio University School of Fine Arts Film Division. And that's really all you need to know. Right, Matthew? Perfect. <laughs> okay. Uh, when's the last, when did we actually talk about doing this for the first time?
0: I want to say it was like <clears throat> two weeks ago. Was it two weeks ago? Yeah.
1: yeah, and you, you kind of came to me, because after I talked to, I had such a good time talking to Yafet and Tim, but, I mean, schedules, this, I mean, you, you know, the, the program here, the film program is relentless. Arduous. I mean, there's so much to do, and one of the reasons that I wanted to talk to you specifically on the podcast is because um, you come at film from a kind of direction that's not film geek, necessarily and that's definitely part of it because you watch a lot of movies, Mm -hmm. but when I found out that you did some boxing, Mm -hmm. when I found out that you came from, you were hung out in Korea, Mm -hmm. when I found out that your undergrad was not related to film, well, I mean, it was related to film kind of tangentially. What was your undergrad? It was psychology and? Sociology and psychology and a minor in screenwriting. Right, minor in screenwriting. Why didn't you choose, can you tell me a little bit about why you, the time between undergrad and film school? Yeah, I mean,
0: so, I didn't, okay, so I went to um, my undergrad initially to Western Carolina University for film production. I heard that they had a good program and uh, somehow did not hear about the North Carolina School of the Arts in Winston-Salem, which is like a dynamite undergrad for film. And you're from North Carolina. I'm from North Carolina. Okay. Um, I somehow didn't hear about this program. I I don't know how Um, this was for everyone who who doesn't know this would have been, oh God, 2007 before the, before the internet was, was a big thing. No. um, Didn't have smartphones back then. Couldn't just Google um, good film schools in your area. Right. So I go to Western Carolina University and um wasn't into it. The, the director of the program there, man by the name of Jack Shoulder, who uh if you're wondering what his IMDB credits are, uh dire- do tell. director for uh A Nightmare on Elm Street 2, uh Freddy's Revenge. Really? So if you haven't seen that movie, good. <laughs> No. Wait, have you seen it? Did you watch have, it before yeah, you I applied because yeah. you needed to know? No, I, I didn't watch it until uh afterwards, I think. Um anyway, so this guy was was not not kind. Um very condescending guy. I came in there, you know me at, I guess I was eighteen at the time, very terrified individual. And uh in my generally high school- or like academically? What do you mean? uh I was just a nervous little fella so but I came in with this this feature film that I made in high school you made a feature in high school I did I made a feature film in high school it's really bad you'll never see it <laughs> why not come on but it has a, it has a lot of content that is um very much from the mind of a high schooler which is not okay uh so I'm just gonna let that one go let it let it go I mean just like <laughs> just like Elsa Exactly now you're learning Uh, No, so I showed this guy the film because it actually we had we got it premiered at this really tiny theater in Burlington where I'm from technically Graham Um, They were just super nice and we're like hey, we have this feature film Would you guys let us show it? And they did and it was it was awesome all like 95 people came from our high school in our in our area nice and I don't know it was just it was it was a great time um, Introduced the movie the, Again the movie wasn't great But being what being was 18? the movie called um, I'm not gonna say No one can google there's no chance Because I think it's somewhere on the internet I'm really disappointed Which I probably shouldn't say <laughs> uh, But so um, So we show this movie and stoked on it And then I get a second screening of it After I got into to WCU and they were going to show it at their theater. And they did. And this Jack Shoulder guy, this director of the program, went and saw it. And he was just real cold on it. Which I don't blame him for. I mean, it wasn't good. But then I had a meeting with him in his office. And he was just very discouraging in general. Not like, oh, your movie was bad. But you did put in a lot of effort at the age of 17, 18. You know, good for you. Uh, you show a lot of promise. Nothing like that. He was, he was basically like, Ugh you're you're kind of mm, you don't know what you're doing, do you? So I was like, ah, okay, okay. So well, I said yeah, at 18 years old, I mean, who knows what they're doing? Come on. Exactly. Of course. I I didn't think I knew what I was doing, which is why it felt he was just being a real asshole. <laughs> uh, so uh what, I don't know. Uh so yeah, I so, so I,
1: you you went to that program mm, for how long? How long did you read that 1 year.
0: About? And then you dropped out. Mm-hmm. Okay. Transferred to uh, UNCC and uh, they didn't have a film program, which was just as well.
1: Uh, and then. So, had you given up on the idea of pursuing film at that point?
0: No, I don't think I had. I don't think I had the idea that I was ever. Oh, I don't know what I was doing. I never knew. There wasn't a plan. It was just, I assume this is a thing I like doing. So I'm going to keep doing it until I'm not allowed to do it anymore. Right. You know, there wasn't like, I don't think I even thought like, oh, I'll do this for a living. Because I just was a very naive. And, uh, you were 18.
1: Yeah. Right. That's fine.
0: So so that was, I mean, that was it, you know. I uh, transferred schools, um, did the sociology thing, because I really, I think people are fascinating in and, and psychology thing. And uh, was kind of doing screenwriting on the side, and keep making shorts with my friends, and uh, really took to screenwriting. Uh, studied under a man named uh, Rodney Stringfellow, who wrote for uh, Nick Jr. If you know Gullah Gullah Island, or uh, all of these other, like I think I don't know if he worked on Little Bill. Uh, Let me
1: tell you I mean, about the only times I watched Nickelodeon. <laughs> Sometimes I watch Nickelodeon. When I went to a friend's house who had cable TV, or I went to my grandparents' house and didn't feel like watching golf. You you were you were a golf watcher as a child? No, I mean I was forced to when it wasn't the right season. Okay. You know, it wasn't baseball or football season. My grandparents had golf on. Sure, um, It's a whole other thing. So yeah, Nick June. No, I don't know Gullah, Gullah Island, but so okay. So you learned. Taina. you There's learned from a master, is what you're telling. No,
0: me. No, he was he was uh, the man. He he. I've never had a a better professor. I mean, of of screenwriting. What was his method for teaching screenwriting? I don't know. I mean, straightforward. He just he'd introduce format. He walked you through the steps. You know, um, after basic format, he he then focused on just storytelling, how to tell a good story. Mm-hmm. And the thing is, is he was an enabler, and you know, in the best kind of way. Um, he just had a very, very gentle approach in, in saying, encouraging you to write about what you wanted to write about. It wasn't, he wasn't focusing on content. He was focusing on the formal elements of screenwriting is what you're saying. No, I mean, certainly the content as well, but I'm saying he didn't try to steer your content. Okay. So you could, you could write about whatever you want to write about and he would just try and help you make that into a good story. It's not like, right. I know. Yeah. Okay. That makes perfect sense. One
1: of my, um, I, I, I'm just going to say it. I learned a lot about storytelling from my theater professor, Don LaPlante, uh, back when I was an undergrad. And one of the things we did when we actually had a roundtable, it was a playwriting class. It wasn't even screenwriting. It was playwriting. So I was a little bit at a disadvantage because I think that talk is cheap and really long conversations um, on screen kind of, I, I feel like they get a little bit tedious if they're not done really well. But he had this format where you would they would you you know, have the script, you'd read the play and the short play or whatever. And then the people in the room would ask questions and you weren't allowed to respond and they were not allowed to suggest what you should do to your script. Well, that was a really important thing and if someone tried to say, you know maybe you should he would stop them and say no, we're not giving suggestions. But if you wrote down all the questions and you kept the questions in mind. And if everyone had similar questions about the script, it would encourage you to creatively address those problems. And I think that that is a way to kind of bring you to a level where you can write a better script than to force some kind of solution. And it's, a, it's way more organic that
0: way. So, yeah, I mean, I think that's a really that's a good way to do it. Totally. And that's, that's what he did with the workshopping. Except he did allow people to, to offer suggestions, but he would only say, you know, don't write the person's script for them. Don't attempt to write someone else's script. Mm-hmm. He could say, like, you know, you could... It's fair to say something like, well, maybe you could such and such. Right. right. But not to be like, oh, you should definitely take it this way. And so, I mean, the way that he constructed his workshops is now now that I'm in a teaching position here at OU, that's... I just completely, completely jacked his, his teaching methods and his workshop style.
1: Do you have a... Uh... Do you have um, I mean, um, do you have any textbooks you use? No, because because you don't have a screenwriting book that you wrote that you can get them to buy so you get royalties. Is that what you're telling me? <laughs> That's exactly what I'm telling you. <laughs> uh,
0: I'm in minute for the dollar, folks, uh, not for the art. So, okay, how do you start then? What's day one like in your screenwriting? I class? mean, day one's format. I mean, I just I teach them, you know, I, I walk them through the same thing that that my professor taught me, but. The thing is, you know, I think most screenwriting books are not written by successful screenwriters, like Rob McKee. and maybe right and maybe that's kind of um, I, I feel immediately kind of uh, all too self aware because I feel like I start getting very arrogant when we talk about this. so whatever, I'll just seem arrogant in the subject. But it's like you know, not not that I have success either. But I just, it bothers me that people say, oh, here's definitely how you should write your screenplay when they've never sold a screenplay. Right. And what they're doing is they're studying trends. You know, when we talk about page count and all of these things that, you know, you're familiar with, but people listening might not be like, you know, okay, the end act one. is. is Give me, for an example, mm -hmm. what people say
1: your screenplay has to be to, to sell it, to get someone to read it today.
0: Has to be at least how many pages? It has to have what, what, and what? Sure, I mean it's it's like ninety to one hundred and ten pages, um, so that you can have this kind. Of, well, not ninety, sorry. Uh, so so generally, let me just break it down. So generally, uh, a film is comprised of three acts. Okay, and the first act is about thirty pages. Act two is like forty-five to fifty pages. Act 3 is generally like 20 to 30 pages, okay, depending on what's going on, right? And you have to hit these these beats as you, you go throughout your screenplay. And the problem becomes then uh, that these these writers will say, okay, your plot point one has to happen by page 20. It has to. And if it doesn't, you don't have a good story. You don't know what you're talking about and you know that those kind of arbitrary things uh, it's just frustrating because a story is going to be a good story is going to the plot point you know plot point 1 is going to happen the turn into act 2 is going to happen when it needs to organically happen after i can't even speak on it because it's there's so many different kinds of scripts and there's so many different kinds okay is it based on how we really is a character study and we're following you know the story is coming out of this character is it more plot based is it an action you know there's just no way to concisely say, oh, yeah, that definitely happens on page 45. That's going to be your midpoint right there. You can't say that.
1: Is it fair to say that if you're writing for a Disney Channel movie, those rules probably are more applicable? Of course. Okay. But, you know. But what you're trying to do in your screenwriting class, you're teaching undergrads, correct? I am. I am. Okay. Okay. So freshman to senior and you're you're
0: just trying to get them to get their ideas to a point where they translate to a screenplay format Right. Absolutely. I mean, I'm trying to encourage You know, first and foremost, I'm trying to teach people how to tell a story And um, you know, maybe I'm doing well, maybe I'm not I don't I don't know Uh, They seem to not hate it (laughs) Uh, but You know that stuff comes later If you don't know how to tell a story, then you're not going to know how to say... When someone says, okay, we're dealing with this format on Disney Channel. Um, We have, you know, 22-minute episodes. You know, this is the structure of them, blah, blah, blah. You can then take the knowledge you have of, I know how to tell a story, and then try to say, okay, how can I tell the story I want to tell within these confines? But if you don't know how to tell a story to begin with, where, where do you start? Right. It's like trying to run before you can crawl. I mean, that's to me. so
1: so, so day one you start with basic format Mm -hmm. and then from there you say do you have like ideation
0: exercises do you Uh, no I know so my roommate does stuff like that but I don't um...
1: two screenwriting teachers in one house
0: oh my god (laughs) Uh, you just have pages of screenplays like all over the place that's what the wallpaper is we just (laughs) we individually glue sticked uh, pages from scripts up onto the wall. Okay. Uh, until we covered the whole house. No. Um, I don't know because I think that stories come from very different places for different people and I can give you, you know, I can, I can show you an image and I can say, okay, what's going on. If it's a setting, you know, I can say, okay, um, this is an, an empty f- location, um, Populate it with two people. Why are they there? Right. You could do something like that. You could do something like show a picture of of a woman reading a book and you can ask them to observe and Make comments about her character and then say, you know, why is she here reading this book? Whatever her location, but I just don't um, I don't know at the end of the day I, I find that stuff to typically be kind of uninspired.
1: So you just tell them what do you want to write about? Yeah
0: and just say, go. Mm, I ask them about their interests. I, I start by saying, you know, what are your favorite films? What type of films do you want to write? Because those two things may be very, may be very different. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, so they are for me. Yeah. So, <laughs> right? So, so so Robert, <laughs> uh, what are your favorite types of films?
1: My favorite types of films? What are your favorite types I of mean, films? I mean, seriously, when it comes down to it, like spectacle, action, heroic, defeating the odds after being beaten down by life
0: and uh, what type of
1: film do you wanna write? Um, yeah, experimental, trippy, dark, obscure, abstract. Um, it's pretty much where I g- it generally, g- when I start writing, it's never straightforward. It's always some strange, symbolic, abstract idea kind of that's been filtered through my brain that starts with something pretty basic, but then it ends up becoming something that just is like paint splattered on a wall you know, in shadow. Got it. Where I came from. But the thing is, is <laughs> like, okay, one of my favorite movies, Gladiator. Sure. Okay? I will never, from where I'm standing right now, write a script that is anything remotely resembling Gladiator. But those are the kind of movies I like watching. So then it becomes, okay, favorite types of films, what do I want to write? So then it becomes... What do I need to actually research? Like right now I'm watching a bunch of horror films. Mm-hmm. That's my thing right now, because the script I have in my mind has horror elements to it. I don't watch horror movies. I don't like horror movies. I don't like being scared. Okay. So it becomes this is essential research for what I want to accomplish, but I'd rather watch, you know, Spartacus on the Stars channel. You know what I mean? It, you know, yeah, no, you know what no, I'm no. saying? Definitely.
0: So, and and that's well, the distinction I'm trying to make is that that the the, the thing becomes with these kids is that they they don't know how to, to distinguish between the two at first. And that's why you have to say, you know, you like these types of movies. But they, they typically aren't self-aware enough to say, oh, but I don't want to write that type of thing. And that's why it's it's really about getting to know. Like, I kind of try to get them to know themselves almost through quick conversations. I wish we could linger on it more. Um. But I just want to make them reflect kind of on on themselves personally and figure out what type of story they're best uh, uh, capable of telling Mm -hmm. so that they don't waste their time trying to write something they're probably not going to be good at writing. It's interesting
1: because it's almost like you can apply that to different fields too. Like, um, uh, for example, Mark Morton, who's the uh, lead guitarist of Lamb of God, one of my favorite metal bands, he listens to pop music. Like he listens to, to top forty pop. He listens to plenty of metal too, but it turns out that he writes most of the guitar leads, the catchy sort of riffs that you you remember when you're headbanging. And I think it was, um, yeah, Randy, the lead singer, said something to the effect of, "Yeah, well, he writes the leads because he listens to pop music, which is memorable. So he comes up with the memorable stuff, mm. and then we flesh it out. Cool. So you're thinking, okay, he might l- enjoy this kind of really basic." Structure, but he applies that to a more complicated metal um, format, which I think is pretty interesting. So, yeah, kind of similar thing.
0: Yeah, and that's I mean, I don't know, just neat. Yeah.
1: So you got so you studied sociology, psychology, you minored in screenwriting, you graduated, then you were like, "Hmm, what do I do now?" <laughs>
0: that, what was that like? What I did, what I did then was say. Well, mom and dad, it's time to go out west and make it big in Hollywood. And um so I, I had been So you came to Ohio. That's right. <laughs> no, so this was this was two thousand and twelve and uh May of two thousand and twelve. And uh I had been in contact with a woman who worked at I don't know when to say the studio, but it rhymes with sh- shmeramount. <laughs> and uh <laughs> This woman, um, no, I'll say the whole story. It's fine. Please do it. So, so, uh, there's something called the Paramount Page Program, right? And the page program is is not even an on set thing. It's basically like you work. Sometimes it's some, it can be on the lot, okay? But basically, you're like a tour guide for people to come through, and you're like, Drive the, the golf cart around and you, you take them to the shops and you say, you know, oh, this is the studio where such and such was shot. Right. And um, you do that voice again. What it, <laughs> what it is, is what it is, is a good foot in the door position. Right? You get to be there. You get to be there. Right. You're making That's contacts. Huge. You're making you're making network opportunities. And uh, I think it was ten dollars an hour. So nice. Uh, so I had been in contact with this woman for uh, a literal four months. About having this position when I got to L.A. Um, And it wasn't just emails. It was we had had phone conversations. uh, Even as casual as as texting when I had questions about it. Okay. So my father and I cross country trip get to L.A. I call her when we're right outside California. She doesn't answer. I leave her a voicemail. Hey, it's me. No, hold on. Sorry. I was I was 22. So I sounded. Hey, it's me, Matthew. Um, I'm just pulling into L.A., and uh, I'm really excited. Did you hit puberty last uh, year, Matthew? <laughs> it was like four months ago, Robert. This was very recent. Wow, okay. Um, you sound a lot different. So I said, you know, it's me, Matthew, and I'm just really excited to be here. and Just pulling into L.A. Give me a call back. And um, she did not. Did you say something like, golly, I'm sure excited did. to be here. Uh, I sure did. No, so, so uh, I, I literally never heard from her again. After you were consistently in touch, consistently she in touch. suddenly decided to stop responding. Correct.
1: Huh? And you? Okay. So did you turn around and go right back to North Carolina? I sure did not. So,
0: <laughs> so what happens then is I kind of look at my dad, and he's like, "Well, I'm like, yeah. We're, I mean, we're here now. So, all right. Uh, so, uh, a, a buddy of mine from my card playing days." Uh, I knew, and uh, I went and crashed on his floor for like two weeks while I was job hunting. Didn't even have a couch? Didn't even have a couch. (laughs) I was just carpet bound, and um, I did bring a pillow with me, though. So That's good. Uh, But after a while, he was ready to kick me out were
1: you, were you picking up work so. in, the,
0: in the meantime? I mean, were you? I was. I had gotten. <sighs> were you watching like Battlestar Galactica on DVD and avoiding going out and finding? No, a job? no, no. I was every day on the job hunt, and okay. uh, I did get work, um, unpaid work, but I but I did get work uh, as as an intern at a comedy management firm called Laugh Mob. And uh, how do they spell laugh? You know how they spell. Laugh. <laughs> L-A-F-F So I I became an intern in this place And I Moved into my own Apartment with uh, Someone who was actually From North Carolina um, Who remained nameless but What was What made it all the more bitter Was I got out there That's what happened to me I got out there and my roommate Got a job at DreamWorks as his first job in LA, I was very happy for him. Uh, he just was in there as a logger, and people who fr- fr- the position of a logger is basically someone who, who takes in the footage that has been shot, mm-hmm. and you log it, you name it, and that's that's what you do. That's, that's his kind entire like IT, job. IT. Yeah. What, what exactly does, does DIT stand for? Uh, Digital Imaging Technician. Okay. So so he was kind of yeah, but that's his job taking the information, log it leave it. Mm-hmm. Uh so he did clerical. That. Yeah, just a lot of clerical stuff. So I live with that guy and he's cool. He's still out there. He's been getting promotions and raises and he's nice. The I wish him all the best. And uh so yeah, I mean, how long were you out there doing this kind of unpaid um a year. Floor surfing thing. You a year. A year. I well, I mean, I, I not you mean before I moved into my place no no like your total time in los angeles before leaving um just shy of a year okay yeah so so okay so i'm an intern at this place i pick up other film jobs along the way as a pa and blah blah blah, background actor and that was paid being an extra is paid and it's cool because you get to hang out on set and what's your day rate for that if you don't mind my asking Mm, it's a little personal (laughs) no i think they do 10 an hour okay So So it's
1: not a day rate. It's actually an hourly job. Correct. Being a background guy. Okay. Uh,
0: But I got to do both Arrested Development and Parks and Rec. What? Are you in the background of some Arrested Development episodes? I am. I can show you. Really? Yeah, in season four. No shit. But the scene I was in in Parks and Rec got cut, so. it's too bad. I don't know. Bummer. Okay. But yeah, two episodes of Parks and Rec. I mean, fuck. Uh, Arrested Development. Got it. Two different ones. Same day of filming, though. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, so what I do? Uh, I couldn't pay my bills, so I got a job at a record store to supplement.
2: hmm
0: yeah. So why did you leave? Because I was too poor. Yeah, is it, that's really what it came down to. <laughs> kind of. I mean, yeah, I was I was running out of money, and I would, was guilty, because I have a very supportive family, and they were offering to, to continue uh, keeping me up out there, and I was like, I just can't do it anymore. Mm-hmm. Uh, I feel too bad about it. So I uh, Then My friend Ashley said Hey You like Asia And I said yeah <laughs> She said you want to go teach English In Korea or China And I said How much does it pay And she said it's pretty good And it, I looked and it was So I, I, I uh, What do they call it Not an audition Was it for a real job What do they call it Interview. interview? That's the word. <laughs> so I so I interviewed for that. And um, yeah, got that and then got a job with uh, an institute in Korea and um, Did
1: you have to know any Korean before you went?
0: Anyo No you I don't had, know he, what that means. You didn't have no you didn't have to know Did any you Korean say on young? No. <laughs> but but Anyong means hello. <laughs> okay. Which hints the joke in the rest of it. Exactly. I uh, so Anyong so is hello polite. so you didn't
1: have to know anything I knew no Korean they just throw you in there you've got mm-hmm. a classroom of what age
0: group Uh, it varies so in the morning my youngest kid was three mm-hmm. and he was fucking miserable because <laughs> he was three he said like, I don't know what's happening this guy's really tall he's not speaking Korean to me I don't know what's going on and he just cried every class for the whole class oh that's terrible yeah I was miserable I feel bad for him
1: so you go to Korea mm-hmm. how long were you in Korea a year. One year. One year. And it's immersion language learning.
0: Yeah. Oh, I fucked it up. Hold on. We have to go back. <laughs> so it, what's important to know is that after um, I get the job in Korea, I move back to North Carolina. Second day I'm back in North Carolina, I get a phone call from Paramount. You, wait, you, you mean the company that rhymes with
1: Shmaramount? That's right. Wait, from, from the woman? No, no, from from
0: just someone who worked. Oh, okay, in okay. the page program, it wasn't the same woman. So you, you'd spent a year out there spent a year in LA. you leave, mm-hmm. and then two days later, yes, you get a phone call. This is accurate. This is completely accurate. I get a phone call, and uh, they it wasn't you know it wasn't a job offer, it was an interview offer, right? Mm-hmm. And I said, I was just of boiling. I was so like, you have to count to 10, hold your breath. That's what I said. Actually, I'm no longer interested. And that woman said, she was she was, I don't know, like I just she talked to me like I just murdered her child. She was like, you're not, you're not interested. And I said, yeah, I'm actually no longer in the area. She said, well, okay. (laughs) And I was like, yeah. So, and I thought I was so I thought I was so cool. Oh yeah, I don't need your job interview at your schmear I don't want it. Uh, and then, in hindsight, and that's pretty probably, probably fucking dumb,
1: yeah, but I mean so then you go to Korea though right, but it, it
0: radically different experience radically different and i don't I don't ultimately regret it, but I feel like had I not and this is part of you know me, I guess four years later, had I the temperament that I have now back then, I probably would have gone you know what actually, I think I might take that interview and see how that pans out.
1: Would it have been a phone interview or in person? I mean, we had have been
0: in person, so I'd have flown back to LA, I think. Yeesh. So, that I mean, that is a nightmare, but you know, you, I shouldn't have been so hot headed about it right. in hindsight.
1: However, can't change it. Sure. So, you go to Korea? So, I go to. Did you enjoy teaching kids how to speak English? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, it's So, you, you like teaching?
0: Yeah, I love teaching. Imparting knowledge. Right. It's delightful. What? what?
1: I'm curious because I've heard about these programs before, where okay. someone ships off and teaches English without having, without knowing the, the language of the country. So, mm-hmm. are, are we assuming that they have a baseline of conversational English? <coughs> no, not at all. Where they get into class and you go, "You go, hi, yeah, I don't know Korean. Mm-hmm. Let's talk." Absolutely, that's what you do. Mm-hmm. What? Yeah. Do they so, give you a curriculum? So cr- is that no, so crazy? It is crazy. It's completely crazy. Yeah, I don't how I did I'd you have learn English?
0: How did I learn English? Well, I was taught exactly by my parents. See, and they probably showed you images of things and then said an accompanying word, right? No, I, 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 I'm sure I picked it up entirely osmosis I'm style. Sure, yeah. yeah, no. So you know, it's it's it is to this observation. And if I hold up a picture of a fox and say "fox," and you point to the children and they go "fox," eventually they can form. That so it's a lot of pictures. It's a lot of associations for the young ones. Yeah, but I mean, I taught from my youngest was three, my oldest were fourteen. Okay, so and you know the ones that were fourteen, most of them already had a baseline of of uh, English. Did you show movies? Did you no? um, No? uh, So so, (laughs) and my continued uh, no spoilers. So the school that I worked at got bought out six months into my time there and um i went from wonderland to what's the second one called through the looking glass not wonderland (laughs) hilarious (laughs) literature joke everyone right there you go uh no so um the second school it's gonna kill me i can't think of it i can't think of it uh take your time oh my god yeah i don't know the clock here uh I want to say that's called Brighton. I know that's not true, but I want—I'm going to call it Brighton for now. What's
1: the uh, Korean translation of
0: Brighton? Uh, yeah. I don't know. Uh, how about I don't speak Korean.
1: Got it. Um, so you, your love for teaching was born. You like Asian stuff. You're probably a fan of Park Chan Wook, right? Of course. Who did Old Boy for our listeners who? Don't know who he is. Top three. Sympathy for uh, Lady Vengeance. What was the second one? Sympathy for Mr. Vengeance. Okay, yeah. So there's two Vengeance ones. Three Vengeance ones, the Vengeance trilogy. hmm I love Old Boy. What a great movie. It's good. What a terrifying movie.
0: It's very good. Yeah,
1: it is good. One, one of your top favorite directors? hmm Really? hmm Okay. Top three. Who's your favorite director?
0: Uh, ask me tomorrow.
1: Okay, fine. When did you start punching people in the face? In Korea. Okay.
0: And, but but I, I don't know. I, I, I want
1: to know why you... While in Korea, while you're teaching these kids, suddenly you decided, you know what? Fist of
0: Fury. Well, first of all, I don't know that I started... I was the one hitting people in the face when I first started. I think I was the one getting hit in the face when I first okay. started. Okay.
1: When did you decide that it was time to allow yourself to be punched in the face?
0: Mm. I mean... I don't know. You know, it's just something I've always been interested in. So you've been a combat sports fan for a while? Yeah. My my father uh, was in the army mm-hmm. and uh, he went to West Point and he boxed when he was at West Point and he was the captain of his years boxing team or whatever. Uh, so I've always had it interest through that. And growing up, he would always kind of show me a thing or two. And, uh, yeah, it's just kind of something that I... So it was not out of the blue? No, this no, it's been developing where, for a while. Okay, were yeah. you a UFC fan? Did you watch, like, Tyson yeah, fights? I mean, like... I mean, like it was... It was kind of gestating. I mean, I I would kind of casually watch that stuff. I didn't... I, I wasn't, like, in love with it. Like, I gotta see the next one. It was just like, oh, tonight I'm gonna watch some combat sports. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't uh, an entirely consistent thing. Were you a... um. Kung-fu movie fan? Of course. Yeah? Okay. Yeah.
1: So you'd seen Bruce Lee. You'd mm-hmm. seen some Jackie Chan. Yeah, of course. I'm sure you'd seen some Kurosawa at this point. Yeah. Not kung-fu movies, technically. but uh, Okay. So did you just look for a boxing gym? I mean, how did
0: it go? <coughs> I did. The thing about boxing in Korea, it's incredibly popular. Like a lot of combat sports in Korea are really popular. And it is different than the way we think of boxing because they typically do it for points. You know, kind of like the – I mean, anyone who's not
1: – Let's assume pro. that our listeners don't know anything about combat.
0: Okay. Uh, okay, so basically, you know, here in America, boxing is technically for points, um, but it tends to be a little bit rougher. I think you could – it's probably fair to say, and that's not to admonish uh, any, any Asian kind of boxing or, or martial arts, but they typically – uh, play for, for more of a point system than they do looking for a KO. And a point is when you make... Contact. Your glove makes contact with someone's... A successful strike. Okay. right, Got it. So they're more focused on that, um, but it's really popular, as, of course, Taekwondo is. Uh, so I looked around until I found one gym um, that I liked better than the others that I thought was a reasonable price, and I found Hurricane Boxing, and they offered both boxing and jiu-jitsu... For a flat rate, Uh, it was actually $100 a month. But at the time, I was making enough money to wear that. That was okay. Okay. And uh, so I went five days a week. I went Monday to Friday and uh, tried to put a lot of time in.
1: So you'd get frustrated with trying to teach English and then go to the boxing gym? No, it's... They're yelling at you from the corner and they're not yelling in English and you're just, I I, I don't know what I'm doing.
0: No, it's not. I mean, it's never come from a place. Can't say never. It's not something that I would do to get out frustration at the end of the day. So you're not trying to brawl. No, it's a sport. It's a sport for you. Okay, absolutely. All right. Uh, I mean, I do don't get me wrong, I'm not trying to cast myself in a light where I don't have violent impulses and that type of thing but but for me largely it's it's a sport and it's it's something very technical that I like to focus on okay what is the the proper form for this type of punch? How can I focus on making that form better, and then when you do end up sparring, you can see how proper form translates into a stronger punch so you know, you can't put the cart before the horse. You can't just say, "I'm going to hit them harder." Okay, you say, "Okay, how do you hit them harder?"
1: Mm-hmm. So, did, had you ever been in a fight before you started boxing?
0: Not, I mean, not a proper fight. Uh, when I was a kid, I was in a couple of scuffles, but not not in my adult life. No. Okay. Uh, did
1: your mentality change in your normal life? Change after learning the proper form of boxing. This is something I'm really interested in because I know when people take up a physical discipline, it Mm -hmm. changes how they structure things that aren't part of that physical discipline. Like when I started weightlifting, it completely changed how I looked at non-weightlifting things, where suddenly it became, okay, I'm not strong enough yet to lift this amount of weight. What exercises do I need to do? What kind of diet do I need to have to get to that point? Mm -hmm. And then you apply that to other things and suddenly you're thinking, okay, this isn't working out. What training do I need to do to get to that point? So, did that happen for you when you were in Korea? Did did you start like approaching teaching differently? Did you approach writing differently? Like, how did that work?
0: Uh, I mean, I absolutely approached. Well, first of all, I'll say once I really dedicated to it, uh, I stopped. You can give yourself a little more space between you and the microphone. I, I stopped drinking. Okay. So this was this was the first time I decided to do the whole sober.
1: So, so you walked in the gym and said okay not drinking
0: I mean after like I, I was taking it for a couple of weeks but when I actually decided like I want to be serious about this I want to dedicate to this
1: wait was were you like walking in there hungover
0: no was it inhibiting your ability I mean, to throw
1: a punch I mean
0: what you got to know about Korean culture is also this they're really big drinkers okay um, I did not know that the, yeah so, I know that
1: Japan there's a huge drinking culture
0: like right as soon as you clock out of work Absolutely, the same in South Korea. So, okay. you you work really really hard. You work nine to ten hours a day, and then you go drink really hard. That's that's their system. Work hard, play hard. Absolutely. So you'll go and you'll get off work, and then you'll go to a nearby restaurant, to a you know a barbecue place, have a bunch of soju, which is kind of think of as their like sake. Okay. Um, it's like a, so. It's a rice liquor for people who don't know what that is. And where, sake is kind of a rice wine, but soju, it's its kind of a rice liquor, and um, you just kind of sit around in restaurants, eat a bunch of food, drink a lot of liquor. There you go, and then you go home late and don't get as much sleep as you need, and then you wake up and do it again. Man.
1: So you, you, you were doing the training for a couple of weeks.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You're enjoying it. Mm-hmm. You're learning things, and then you decided, okay... Because I'm getting serious about this, I need to stop drinking. Mm-hmm. That seems like a philosophical choice, not a physiological one. Can it not be both? Uh, I guess it can. Do you feel like you were sharper when you stopped drinking? Absolutely. Even if you weren't there was no like hangover situation, you just feel more focused.
0: Well, I think you even if you're not hungover, I mean alcohol is literally a poison. Right, so it's, it's a depressant as right. well. It's just not good for your your energy. It's just not good for your your body. Period. Mm-hmm. And don't get me wrong. I don't people listening. I don't mean to when I say these things. I'm not trying to put down alcohol, and I'm not trying to put down drinking. I'm just merely stating the, the physical effects. Yeah, you that better it not. As he reaches for his Jameson, sipping some Jameson, friends. Uh, but it's just true. It's just, I know. I personally, some people can drink and. Still, be really physical, and I know for me, that's not the case.
1: Yeah, my friend Josh, when when he's uh, competed because he's he's done some jujitsu competitions, when he's training for a competition, no drinking. Sure. And I mean, this is he's a brewer, mm-hmm. like he works at a brewery, and he's like okay, no drinking while I'm preparing for this competition. And I've never, I've never actually, as an adult, competed. Sure. It's only ever been training, so that's never actually been a factor. So, so you stop drinking. Mm-hmm. And did, did you get a fight set up? I mean, like how long did it take before you really actually, where, where the stakes were high enough to test your actual training? How did so that work?
0: So the, pro- the problem became that I wanted to fight someone, but I'm, I'm a very large person.
1: Yeah, uh, Matt, what are you, 6'5"? I am. Matthew is very tall.
0: But I'm not big. I wouldn't describe me as big. What are you, 190, right? Yeah, I'm a buck 90. So, 6'5",
1: 190. Okay, do the math,
0: friends. So, pretty pretty thin looking. So, I'm really not that scary, but no one wanted to uh, fight me because one, I was American, and two, I was very large. Wait, are they
1: intimidated by Americans?
0: I mean, in in a way.
1: Culturally speaking, South Korea, uh, uh, relationship with America.
0: uh, Good. I mean, you have a lot of... Uh, Western ideas of fashion and things that kind of get that uh, kind of get absorbed and, and re. Oh, they have a
1: huge video game culture in Korea too. They, They've they got like do. StarCraft tournaments where they make mm-hmm. like a million dollars if they win, right? It's
0: yeah, it's like they're basically their national sport. Their national sport is StarCraft. Yeah, basically. <laughs> I mean, it's, I say that in jest, but but no, they they love. There are, there are professional gamers. Absolutely, yeah. that's
1: amazing. So so generally, the attitude towards America is, is a generally positive one. Absolutely, yeah.
0: Okay. I mean, you know, of course, you have people that don't like America and think that, you know, we're poisoning them and blah, 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 blah. Right. Um, which, you know, uh, any time I would be walking down the street with a female, coworker, whatever, it doesn't doesn't matter. They don't know the situation. Even if I'm, you know, I'm not holding hands, I'm not doing anything, just walking next to them, and you're going to get, like, middle-aged to older Korean men who, who stare daggers at you. Right. For just being with a Korean female. Wow.
1: So no one wanted to fight you.
0: Right. So yeah, so no one, so no one wants to <laughs> so fight. So you're, you.
1: you're begging for a fight. You're like, "Please kick my yes. ass."
0: Kwangjangnim, Nim, which means coach <laughs> um or master. How long were Okay, sorry for interrupting. How long
1: were you training before you asked for a fight? I'm assuming you asked for a fight.
0: Yeah, I mean not uh I don't know. It was something like 4 months. Okay. And then, you know, month five Found somebody And then, uh, so Comparable height? It wasn't, no, he was shorter than me He was probably like Like maybe six foot Okay So this guy, um, comes in I didn't go anywhere He came into our gym We use our ring And then he proceeded to beat the shit out of me For Two to three rounds I don't remember Um I was I was beaten uh, and left concussed and with a broken rib.
1: How did you lose the fight? Was it a TKO or was it a knockout? Yeah. yeah
0: it was, no, it was not. A, first of all, I've never gone down. Okay. All, all right. right. Look, Listen, I'm, I'm, re- I'm really a really shitty boxer, but I don't go down.
1: not trying to attack you, Matthew. We, do, we don't go down. <laughs> okay. All right. Fine. <laughs> anyway, so so he beats the shit out of you for three rounds. yeah. yeah. Um, do they did, did someone throw him in the towel? Yeah, was yeah, it a I mean, stoppage? It was, yeah, it was called.
0: Okay, got for it. sure. All
1: right, how many rounds did they schedule?
0: I don't know. Must have been three or four. I don't. I mean, I don't speak Korean. Okay, Hanadula said. I don't know. <laughs> it was one of those. You're like, okay, I
1: don't know how long I'm fighting. I don't know what I'm doing. I'm just gonna keep throwing punches and trying to defend as long as possible. Yeah. Okay. So it it you did a, that.
0: I did well. To and you were concussed my, to the best of my ability. So yeah, he was better than me. That's a short version of that story. Okay. Uh, So I find out that he was the third place of his weight class in 2013 Golden Gloves of all of Seoul. The only one who had the
1: guts to fight the tall American.
0: (laughs) The the pathetically unqualified (laughs) tall American. Okay. Uh, So this guy, you know, beats me. I walk in that was that was a Friday I walk into class on Monday with a black eye and I get teacher teacher are you wearing makeup and I said
1: was this the three year old who was always crying and finally opened <laughs> no. his mouth
0: no this is, <laughs> these were my seven year olds okay and I said yes I am I'm wearing makeup <laughs> yes this is my uh, my eye shadow i'm wearing because right. it was it was
1: if you're asking what they thought like what do you think yeah. do you like it do you like this american did, style yeah
0: because yeah. i mean you have to turn into a joke i didn't want to say well listen guys teacher is um, been trying to box recently and he's not so good at it uh, so uh the following week i train i train the following week i don't i don't take any days off were you sparring I I'm a fool. No, no. I, I didn't spar. I just was um, just training and doing the weightlifting stuff. And I go to bench on uh, Thursday. And I throw up the bar and I hear a pop. And I was like, that didn't sound good.
1: Could you feel the pop or you just hear I it? I just
0: hear it. Huh. So I, I re-rack uh, after I finish my set. And for the, I, for those listening, I don't claim this to be... Uh, this is not a testament to my toughness. This is a testament to my stupidity. Um, when you hear a pop come from your body, stop what you're doing. Uh, just, just stop what you're doing. And, and so so I go in, I finish the night out, um, you know, doing the whole thing where they take the, the medicine ball and right throw it in your stomach and mm-hmm. do that. And I was like, this is really painful today. I don't know why. Um, the following day, fought someone else, but it was uh, technically, so he was like the third in command at my gym. So, so it was a, a gym fight. It wasn't an actual amateur right, section. Right, It, was, kind it, of it was a gym fight. Okay. So not my, you know, not the coach, but one of the, the helper people. And I did better, but I just felt really winded because he, I mean, he wasn't nearly as good as the first guy, right? But I just felt really winded. And from the corner, Kwanjianim just yells, more cardio. And I was like, oh, fuck. I'm really tired. He's like, you need more cardio. You need more cardio. Was
1: your cardio pretty good at this point? Like, were you running a couple miles a day? Like, what were you doing?
0: Uh, no. I was not running that well.
1: So, so he was right, is what you're saying. He was right either way.
0: <laughs> but I, after it was over, I just thought, you know, you, you, for those of you who don't know, your, your adrenaline, even when you're just sparring or whatever, really – Keeps going and, and keeps you motivated and keeps pushing you forward And if you're dumb dumb like me, you just Aren't listening to your body. You're just kind of being pushed along So I finished this fight. and you know, I, I got a couple of clean tags on him But it he definitely won right if it would have been a fight
1: mm-hmm. Was it a, a similar amount of time was it like three rounds? Yeah.
0: Yeah, and just a quick little thing Okay, and I, I go home just exhausted. I wake up the next morning and just Yeah My ribs broken your rib is broken i just i just know i just i'm like yeah that's that's what happened so i go to the doctor i get an x-ray it's broken and he gives me pain medication sends me home and all in all the doctor's visit cost fifteen dollars as an uninsured american
1: here's that way in japan too so did you crack a rib in the first fight, and then it was fully broken in the second that's fight? That's what I think. Okay, so when it's cracked, you throw the bar up, mm-hmm. you hear that little pop. You're like, "Huh, that's weird," but it wasn't enough to really displace and cause a serious amount of pain, right? But then when you woke up after the second fight, it, the da- more damage yeah. had been done. Okay, so you exacerbated a twice over. You exacerbated an injury that could have been taken care of if you'd just taken some time off. Absolutely. Okay. What have you learned from this experience, Matthew?
0: Well, I think it's pretty obvious what I've learned from this experience, Robert. Uh, well, like I said, if you hear something pop, stop what you're doing. Right. Don't be stubborn. Just it's okay to take a break. Stop doing what you're doing.
1: Two questions for you. Uh-huh. Um, you said you were concussed in the first fight. Uh-huh. Does that mean – what was that like? How long did that take to dissipate? what was the feeling of being concussed like did you have trouble functioning i mean these are all like little kind of like what what's your life like in the days after a concussion
0: you so i just i mean i walked around even on that that monday you know when i walked into school and i was trying to teach i just i couldn't remember where i was at in the study plan or you know whatever the lesson plan was i was just like weird talking about you know,
1: this is after they asked you if you had makeup on.
0: Yeah. So, so the the evidence was mounting. And, of course, my, my English, my American uh, co-workers, I should say, when I came in, they are just like, dude. You can't talk good, neither. I was like, "What? no, can't talk no good words. So, I mean, you know, like that Saturday-Sunday wasn't a big deal because I just stayed in my bed after that and just watched movies. But when I had to go into work on that Monday is when I was just like, oh, God, I can't remember anything. And it was not cool. How
1: long did it take for that to get back to where
0: you felt normal? I still don't feel normal,
1: Robert. Okay.
0: Uh, no, I mean, it. I, I don't know. Probably by that Thursday or something. I don't know. So remember. around a week. Yeah, around a week. I, I probably had... Where the fog kind of lifted. Yeah. And okay. had I not been... I don't know maybe if I You're had still
1: like, training though Like that, that's the thing That kind of gets me It's like yeah. okay There's a point at which You're like ah, okay Time to ease off the gas Right Right Yeah. You learned that From this experience Obviously Yeah. Okay so it took about A little less than a week For you to get to be like Oh I'm alert And that's when you had The second fight mm-hmm. So then So I imagine That part of that Why you kind of <coughs> Powered forward Is well, because you were concussed And weren't thinking clearly
0: You're like yeah I can take another fight Fine If you want to give me That excuse
1: well, I mean, mo- most of your description of these events is in- sure. unbelievably self-deprecating, and I'm trying to give you an out. Thank
0: you. Basically, because... It's, I- <laughs> it's, it's very kind of Come you. Come on, give yourself a little bit of credit. Yeah.
1: But, so, sure. then you break the rib. Mm-hmm.
0: So, I'm, I'm done.
1: How long did it take uh, before you got back in the gym? I didn't get back in the gym. You didn't get back in okay, the gym. Okay, so-, so... So, give me the timeline. Like, you're in Korea, this happens. Yeah. Was this towards the end of your tenure there? This, this
0: was in November of 2015. So... I had, I had been there since February 2014, 2015, February 2015. Okay. Okay. So what you got to know in this part and what comes back, why Brighton comes back into the picture, like I mentioned, the school getting bought. Mm-hmm. Okay. So this becomes important. Um, around this time, the school was hemorrhaging kids because the, the owner of Brighton was a private it? school. Institute. Okay. So they have, hogwan is what the Korean translation is. So hogwans are these uh, like private institutes that, that teach English. They're not you know public school. They're not. It's just these paid for whatever. And uh, the woman who owned this was sketchy. She had a sketchy reputation. Okay. So people were after the merger, which parents were not told about. Until about two weeks before the buyout happened Ugh. because my boss who I thought was super cool also turned out to be sketchy So because you couldn't speak Korean it is because I couldn't speak Korean <laughs> so uh, she's hemorrhaging kids and parents just say you know we don't like this deal we're out gone so she's losing a lot of money she's thinking okay I think I have to make a cut. I have to cut some teachers. Now, this wasn't a 100% done deal. It was up in the air. She said, would anyone like to go home? You know, we're running out of money. Were
1: there a lot of Americans in this program? Uh, Three. Three of
0: us. Uh, Would anyone like to go home? And my grandmother at the time... Had just basically had three heart attacks over the 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 course of two months. So I was, when that was going on, I was you know I was getting paranoid. I was like, oh, you know, I don't know if she's gonna make it. And I volunteered to go back early.
1: So for personal reasons, you decide. Okay, I need to be closer to my
0: family. Right. I Need to get out of Korea. Uh. So, and and that was a bummer for me because I had intended on staying a second or, or third year even. But the more I thought about it, you know, that was kind of the catalyst. I was like, yeah, okay. I should go home for my family and I'll I'll come back uh, afterwards after everything is stable with her condition. Because we've always been very close. And um, the more I start to think about it, I'm like, okay. Yeah, I'm making really good money, but is this a career? I don't know. Um, Maybe I should use the money that I've saved to go back to L.A.? No, I don't really feel like that. Uh, graduate school. At least I can maybe try to teach. I've kind of found these the, the you know the, the the fire's been kind of stoked for that, and I, I think yeah I'm gonna take this money that I've made and, and put that towards uh, graduate school. So when I was still over there, uh, I think it was like still November. I started looking at schools, and then my flight brought me back, and I got back to the states in December uh like December 15th or something of 2015. So, uh, to answer your original question, you know, I was taking out a commission obviously from exercise after my my uh, injury. So I get sent home. Okay. Uh and I'm told that I will receive my last paycheck for um both uh september october and november right along with with my they're giving me a severance for leaving early and ultimately saving them money so uh i get it on video i videotape the owner of of the institute uh telling me you know the agreement the, the amount in paid. english or korean in english okay okay yeah I'm not gonna get swindled like that. <laughs> um, if there's a written document, everything's good to go. Uh, I come back to the states, and of course, uh, to this day, I have not been paid, and I am owed the sum of four thousand dollars from uh, Brighton and that horrible, horrible human.
1: Well, you should um, own the institute. You should grab it and use it to finance your uh, thesis.
0: I'd love to. Uh, if, if you'd like to pay to hire me a lawyer to then be in contact with a lawyer in Korea, Nah, that's okay. It's um, not worth it. Yeah, see, so you see the the issue at end. Yeah, I'm sorry about that. So I've never I've never actually wanted to strike someone like outside of of uh, sports context. That's not true. <laughs> but no one more than this this person. What I think I would actually just hit because what kind of what kind of person are you? So. I come back home, um, you know, say goodbye to everybody and um, move in with my grandmother and uh, start applying to schools and getting a job, uh, looking for jobs there and I got a job at a an after school program for i hate I hate this expression, but it's what they commonly refer to as, as for at risk kids right. And uh, it was a film after school film program where I would be teaching basic uh, film production. So I started doing that and then in February uh, I got cleared for physical activity and then played a game of uh, pickup flag football and broke my wrist. So <laughs> I'm sorry. No, it's fine.
1: (laughs) That's just the way it goes, isn't it? Did I tell you about my skateboarding incident? Where I fractured my
0: skull? You did, but I would like to hear it again. Well,
1: I fractured my skull skateboarding at FDR in Philly. I
0: also don't mean to laugh, I'm sorry. No
1: helmet, obviously. Uh, I'm gonna blame it on the slick uh, surface of the skate park uh, that was covered with graffiti and it had been raining that morning, so it was misty. Anyway, fractured my skull. Three months later, decided to get back
0: up on that horse
1: and fell at exactly the same location, wearing a helmet this time, but broke my wrist.
0: So what did you learn from that experience, Robert?
1: I learned that there's more than one way to get injured and that um, I had one more strike. Have you used it yet? Yeah, I did. I dislocated my shoulder the next time I tried at least it wasn't your head. Right. Yeah, no, it's 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 um I definitely recovered. So did teaching the kind of basic after school, you know, at risk kind of thing mm-hmm. make you realize you wanted to get back into filmmaking? Was that kind of how that happened or was it sort of a eh, whatever, we'll see what happens. No, Why specifically film?
0: Because because it has to be. You know, uh to explain, there's just there's just nothing else. I mean, you know, I liked teaching. I liked being abroad. I love, I loved South Korea. I loved Seoul. I loved the culture. If I could choose any city to live in, it would be Seoul. Um, were but, you just
1: watching movies the whole time and thinking,
0: man, I want to make movies? I mean, were you, were you writing what, at that time? Yeah, I was I writing. Mean, I, I, wrote, uh, I wrote two features when I was over there. I finished the second one when I came back. but I would just write after I got done teaching a lot if I wasn't doing the boxing thing. Mm-hmm. Um, which people don't like by the way. When you're in Korea and you say I'm not going to drink anymore, you can kind of become a social outcast. So, really? Yeah, because that's just what people do. And it's not like an, it's not like a it's not like oh you suck now. It's just like, well, all right, you're not interested in going no to the bar, I guess. Right. It's like, well, you know, you, know, you know. So so I would instead I would go home and write after I after my exercise. I would mm-hmm. just go home and write for a while.
1: So, how many schools did you apply to? Two. Two.
0: That was it.
1: OU and what else?
0: OU and, uh, what is it? It's in Chicago. Ah, That's irrelevant. Never mind. Yeah. So, I didn't get in to the other one. Right. And I thought, oh, yeah, that makes sense. Um, but then I I got the letter from OU and, you know, they had a very generous offer. And I said, Mm -hmm. yeah, let's do it.
1: Interesting. So you, I mean, we, we've talked about this before, but for mm-hmm. our listeners, there are a number of different um, things you can focus on when you mm-hmm. come to OU for the MFA program. You can do screenwriting, directing, post-production, or cinematography are generally what they say you can do, mm-hmm. pretty much, and you have decided to focus on cinematography, correct? Would that be fair assessment?
0: Yeah, largely.
1: Having written a couple features, why did you decide to go cinematography? Is because you don't have as much experience there, or did you feel like you had more room to grow?
0: Absolutely. I mean, the thing is, is you know, for screenwriting, it's like you can only, in my estimation, I think you can only be taught so much, and then eventually it just comes down to you: Are you a good storyteller? Are you a good writer? I think there, there, you know, there comes a point. I'm not saying in, instruction is a great thing, but it's just like you can only be pushed and taught so. Mm-hmm. If that makes any sense, yeah. No, and then you just does. have to you just have to write and, right. write and write and write and write and write and write. Uh, so I wanted to focus on something that I thought I had a more potential in, but definitely more room for growth, which is cinematography.
1: Did you go back to your feature from high school and go, "Wow, I could have spent some more time lighting this"?
0: Uh, yes, because <laughs> we didn't use lights.
1: so There's a DV camera. It was handheld
0: the entire thing. Tripod, baby.
1: Did you have any uh, lavalier microphones, or was it all camera mic? All oh, boom. Ooh, oh, okay, yeah. all right, yeah.
0: We had a sweet $30 microphone that we bought from uh, Vietnam. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. Off-brand.
1: So did you did you come in thinking cinematography, bam, or was it, did you take a class or you're like, ooh, ooh, I like this?
0: Yeah, I mean, I applied uh, specifically in my application. I, I said I was going to be screenwriting track and submitted the features that I had written and was like, you know, here I am. You know, I've already been doing this Help me to get better at it Mm -hmm. but then I got here and you know, I'm I'm very um, I Think obsessive is the nicest way to say it and I just I like a pretty image and I like figuring out how to make what makes a pretty image and then how I can personally do that through lighting and and uh, blocking of actors and set dressing and You know primarily lighting.
1: Okay. So this is interesting because you're also taking acting classes, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. You like acting. It's okay, yeah. So you're like, okay, no, that's... Uh, no, I like uh, it. Give Yay. me a little bit. Okay. Come on. Come on. You've, you've already given me three voices, I I, I think, since we've started this podcast. Uh-huh. And we've talked about acting before. Mm-hmm. Um. Part of the program here is that you can take what are called cognates, which are classes that are not required, that are not technically within the film curriculum. What
0: cognates have you taken? Fashion photography and uh, advanced acting, whatever it was actually called.
1: Fashion, okay, why fashion photography?
0: Uh, because I, you know, learning how to photograph, how to light texture, It's basically what you're talking about, right?
1: So you're focusing on the fabric that the subject is wearing.
0: Uh, yeah. I mean, the course was split. The first half of it was fashion. Or, sorry, the first half of it was portraiture. The second half of it was fashion. Okay. But I wanted to be able to, to yeah, think about the, the fabrics and the texture and how light reflects or doesn't reflect or is absorbed or whatever, you know, have you, depending on the surface.
1: Is that how the class is structured?
0: Um, I mean, not specifically. It's just that you, you know, you look of, at examples of different lights and just whatever the, the garment is. Uh, You just kind of
1: make sure the stripe pattern isn't too small, right? Sure. Okay, when it comes to that kind of photography, though, because Mm -hmm. you you see, like, okay, like Annie Leibovitz, Mm -hmm. okay? Vanity Fair, whatever. Um, Beautiful photography, Mm -hmm. okay? But then you have something like a Roger Deakins, you know, slow dolly shot that really captures a space. Sure. How do you combine what you know about portraiture, which is entirely about the subject and then cinematography, which is not only about the subject, but also about the environment and the mood. Are you thinking about the same exact things when you're talking about fashion photography, when you're talking about cinematography? I think so. Yeah. Do you apply the same principles? I mean, are you thinking the exact, are you asking the same questions when you're doing those kinds of things? Absolutely. Yeah.
0: I mean, for, for me, yeah, because you're thinking about either way, you're thinking about how to capture a space, how to capture a person.
1: So you don't differentiate between subject and space?
0: Not really. No, I'm not saying people are things. <laughs> I'm just saying, you know, you're either way, you're lighting something.
1: Mm-hmm. Okay. And when it comes to lens choices, mm-hmm. this is something that, that I, I know nothing about. Okay. Okay. I have heard that there are particular lens lengths. Mm-hmm that are good for capturing a face?
0: 85.
1: Okay, why? why explain that to me. Why are some people, uh-huh. I there are some people that I see them in person, I'm like, oh, they're a nice looking person. Uh-huh. Then I see pictures of them, I'm like, oh, my God, they're gorgeous. Yeah. What is it about a lens and a camera that can make someone who's normal looking be unbelievably photogenic. Now, I'm dead serious because, because there are some people that I think are gorgeous in person sure. that I cannot find a good picture of. Then sure. there are people that I think are just like average looking that are stunning on camera. Mm-hmm. I, and I can't figure out what it is about a 3D experience in person and the 2D image of the photograph. That is blowing my mind right now and I have no idea how to even approach it. I mean, you you know a good deal about lenses though not really that's a big gap in my education I'm getting there I'm getting there Matthew
0: but so okay but you know the difference between like an 11 millimeter and we'll say an 85 yes
1: huge difference so
0: principally the 11 does what
1: the 11 you mean as far as what it captures right it's it's wider right right
0: okay and an 85 is
1: it's not zoomed necessarily but you're getting it's collapsing Mm mm-hmm Okay, since I don't know what I'm talking about, explain it for our <laughs> listeners because I don't want to pretend like I know what I'm talking about. Okay, I have a very basic understanding because sure. of the limitations of the equipment we have for the film program. So they give us a zoom lens on our film one, and we just do the best we can.
0: Sure. Have you gotten to play with the Zeisses yet? Like mm, that was on.
1: No, I've watched Matt Love play with the Zeiss
0: on Megan's film. Okay, because you know those are those are photography lenses. Those, Re- aren't, those aren't even uh, cinema.
1: Wait a minute. Lenses. The Zeiss package. Yeah. Applied to a red, yeah, that's really correct. Yeah, okay. Not to throw away like school film secrets, I just no, no, that that, that, that's interesting. But okay, one okay, one thing I've noticed for our listeners who might not be film students. Let's break down wide lens Mm -hmm. to a more narrow lens. Mm -hmm. Can you give me like a basic primer on that right now for our listeners and for me because. Okay, my experience was skateboarding. One. Okay, in high school. No, <laughs> seriously, know. because every every person who did a skate skate video wanted a fisheye, because a fisheye lens you could you could follow them on a <laughs> skateboard right. and it would capture everything and it would look like you're looking through a fishbowl. You could see that kickflip, or especially 360 flips look amazing on a fisheye. Fisheye lens, 360 flip, mm-hmm. perfect. You don't want a zoom lens. Where you're following, and suddenly every little motion of the camera th- throws the frame off, and you can't see what's going on. Right. Okay, so wide-angle lens, you're getting way more right. of an image. Okay, the depth of field is bigger, so you don't have to focus as much. Okay, so right. a fisheye, even more so, right? Yeah. Okay. Normally. Why eighty-five? Eighty-five millimeter is what we're talking about.
0: Correct. So, an, so an eighty-five millimeter um, with a Also, so this becomes important, Um, cameras have things called f-stops, okay? And f-stops are typically going to go from, like, uh, a 2 on most lenses up to an f-22. Now, the smaller the number, the more light you're letting in, okay? Um, But what also happens is the smaller the number, the more shallow your depth of field becomes, Okay, So if you're shooting something at a 2.8, it's going to have a more shallow depth of field, more precise depth of field. So the more light you F2 let in, mm-hmm.
1: the more light you let in, mm-hmm. the more careful you have to be, be about your focus. Correct. Okay. Uh,
0: so you can kind of play with that in portraiture if you want to put emphasis on a face, right? so I mean you shoot them at a lower f-stop you you kind of accentuate uh their their face whatever you're trying to accentuate let everything else kind of start to drop off and out of focus and that becomes a way to to direct uh whoever's looking at the image your viewer their literal focus right Mm -hmm. Uh, and I guess an 85 can all it also it compresses right you were talking about how 3D image to a 2D surface right so another thing that becomes important that we haven't mentioned yet is and I'm not trying to to bore people with all this but you're you're subject uh, to camera distance becomes really important because with an 85 what you have to understand is that your uh, minimal close focus distance you, you cannot be what are we two feet apart right now no, we're about three feet apart. Three feet apart. Uh, I'd have to be farther back, farther away from you to grab focus on you with an, with an eighty with the lens that I have. Okay. Um, and and that becomes what becomes important about this is that the the closer or or farther away you get from a subject with that eighty five lens, it's still going to start to kind of distort and affect the way the person looks, right? So you have, you have that closeness. They're going to kind of like bow, if that makes sense, mm-hmm. when you get closer with it. Right. So with an 85, you, you want to kind of be, I don't know, like, let's say like, I mean, it depends on what you're shooting too. But, okay, without getting just like listing everything, you just say that depending on your, um, you want to be a little bit farther back because you can always crop in too with, with Photoshop and right. whatever if you need to get it tighter uh, shot so I I shoot from like I don't know typically like eight ten feet back I guess. And
1: like that, if you had a fisheye lens or a wide angle lens, uh-huh. you'd be distorting their actual features. So you're saying the 85 is a nice middle
0: ground. Well, I think just like you said, it just it's nice and kind of compressed. Mm-hmm.
1: Okay, yeah, but you're still thinking. So you, you've done some portrait photography, of course, with this fashion sure. kind of thing. Are you? If you have a scene with two actors Mm -hmm. having a conversation.
0: We're talking about film now.
1: We're talking about film now. Mm -hmm. You're not just shooting one subject for a headshot, for example, like an actor's headshot. Mm -hmm. You're trying to get that scene to work. Mm -hmm. Are you choosing lenses based on what you think the emotional impact is going to be? How much light is going to come in? How things are framed? Or, or, Or is it just too many factors for each shot to actually have a standard?
0: All of it. When I mean, you think about all of it, like when we were doing.
1: So for your film in December that you shot,
0: uh-huh. I mean. So basically, I, the, uh, the, the, the film, what that we I'm trying to is, ask you yeah. is
1: general principles,
0: a, know, a, a
1: platform from which to start making decisions about specificity.
0: I think it depends on person to person. I'm someone who I think about, you know, you want to think about the emotion of what's being delivered first and foremost. How do you best capture the emotional beat that's on screen that you want the audience to experience? Is that better served with a wide angle lens? Is it better served getting up close? Uh, that's the first question for me. Okay. Sorry, I know I know my mind. I try to answer 10 different questions at once. Well, no, but, but
1: for me though, it's I'm trying to demystify the sure. process, And but there are some films. Okay, when you watch like a Terry Gilliam film, mm-hmm he loves dollying Mm -hmm. and he loves wide-angle lenses. Mm -hmm. And I remember the first time I watched uh, 12 Monkeys, it was really off-putting because it drew attention to itself. When we have a swooping crane shot into Brad Pitt's face, I'm just like, would you please just pull the camera back? And I I didn't know anything about lenses at the time, but I I was very distracted by the lens and the motion of the camera. Mm -hmm. And I feel like he was trying to capture Everything he laid out in the environment, right? Mm-hmm. Not the performance or the actor. I feel like there were some different priorities with the way he wants to film action sure. based on how David Fincher wants to film action. Sure. So I don't know, but I'm still trying to. I mean, I haven't studied enough to actually know what I'm talking about or even how to ask the right questions. But for cinematography, so for your film in December, you are directing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and sorry. you give, did you give a lighting concept? Mm-hmm. Let's talk a little bit. Can you just talk a little bit about your film, your second year film? Yeah, sure. And how, how you approached it because you were not the DP, Matt Love was the DP, but you had a very specific idea of what you wanted things to
0: look like, right. correct? Yeah, absolutely. So you had a
1: four-person relationship drama. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, so it was just a talking piece basically at a, at a at dinner um, for the most part. And my reference films for it, I wanted really, uh, really, not incredibly low-key lighting, but uh, I, w- I like higher contrast, I always do. Um, but I wanted this, the light to be a bit quite soft, um, which means you're looking at a lot of diffusion, and, and the, the, the light is going to wrap around whatever it's hitting. It's not hard. It's not harsh on the subject uh, for people listening. It's just uh, it becomes very soft and also gives the, the light a wider spread. So you're not getting
1: hard shadows and edges, That's what you're saying, okay.
0: You're, you're dulling your shadows. Um, so I wanted that, um, but still in a lot of red, a lot of orange, and a lot of brown. Um, just because I wanted to, the, the point, the effort was to have, because the content is so uh, uncomfortable, uh, I wanted to to make sure the image, the colors were, were kind of warm and not in an inviting way, We're kind of grossly warm. Okay. Um, so in, in color, that's what I was thinking. In, in light, that's the basic principle of, of what the target was.
1: Okay. So you tell this to your DP. Mm-hmm. You give him some color samples. Mm-hmm. Did you make him watch some films? Mm-hmm. would you make him watch?
0: Uh, we really looked at uh, Social Network, Whiplash, and The Invitation.
1: The Invitation, who did that?
0: Uh, her name is uh, Karen. I want to say, it's not Caruso. Um,
1: We're researching right now, dear listener. Sorry. No, but I, I remember watching the, um, when I was on set, because I, I was a grip on this particular set. There was a very distinct decision to have shadow between the characters, almost as if there was some kind of obfuscation in their relationship.
0: Right. Karen, sorry everyone, Karen Kusama. <coughs> Karen Kusama, sorry I'm dying. Don't die. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I made the choice to leave my window open last night and it became quite drafty and I woke up this morning with yeah. a cough.
1: Okay, we have day two of Steadicam tomorrow. You can't die now. Uh, so so you weren't actually the DP. No. But you had a very specific idea of what you wanted, lighting-wise, to give to Matt Love Correct. to achieve. Correct. Okay, and that was mostly diffuse lighting, mm-hmm. and a color, I mean, did, did you have like a wardrobe person you were talking to, did Absolutely. you have like a set design person you are like, okay, we need mm-hmm. these colors, avoid these colors. Mm-hmm. So even if you have four people talking to each other over dinner, you're thinking about what are they wearing Where's the light coming from? Mm-hmm. Um, how how clearly can we see this? Um, I mean, so yeah, there's a, a number of factors going into that. But while you're directing, were you thinking about that at all? Or did you just let that go to the DP?
0: Were you, uh... Matt and I, our pre-planning was so extensive and that on the day, I didn't have to. Spend a lot of time worrying about that. I mean, I I made tweaks and I said, you know, I do like that I don't like that. I think we need more of this. We need less of that, whatever But we had pre-lit In the days leading up to for that primary uh, dinner scene You know with stand-ins and and everything So all that stuff was pretty much good to go and and on the day I didn't really have to worry about it. So I could just focus on performance um, because for people who don't know in the past, um, I, I tend to, t- to get a little overzealous and I camera operate for myself and on my film too. I did literally, uh, I, I directed camera operated gaffed. Uh, yeah, it was, it was a problem. So there, there are things that on this this project I wanted to be able to let go of and try not to be, uh, so controlling over. Mm-hmm. So did that by hiring, working with, I should say someone that I, I trusted and that I worked with extensively and pre-planning. So on the day I could just do the one job that I needed to do.
1: Right. And that is just pre-production. Yeah. Taking the time to actually figure it out before you get to set.
0: Right. And same thing with costumes. I didn't have to worry. I had a fantastic uh, costume and set deck person.
1: Who was your costume and set deck person?
0: Uh, Katie McLean. Katie McLean. Yeah. Oh, she's fantastic. So, so she, you know, I had, I met with her a um, hell of a lot of times before as well and we talked about costume and how color you know was important for like so you know whatever melodrama bullshit's happening uh the the girl who is uh simultaneously invested in two different people um her costume you know just little things like her costume has the same colors as corresponding with both of the people Right, so they're both wearing very different colors and what she's wearing is a mixture of the colors between the two people ah just like I, I did not notice that little bullshit like that right okay uh, and then and then the you know the, the fourth person who doesn't belong uh, with anyone her colors are like uh, contrast nah what a, it's not the word. contrasting is not the word I guess we'll go with that contrasting colors to what uh, the other three people are wearing
1: if I remember correctly she had a her skirt was a solid color, but her top was more like, was it Paisley? Jacqueline? Yeah. I don't remember. There's a little bit more variety? I don't know. I'm trying I, to think right now. I've,
2: no, but I've it, seen this but film it, like a hundred times over right, the years. Right, and last you've also days. edited it. I'm, I'm sorry. I can't think I'm of sorry it. for bringing it up.
1: We'll get back to boxing in a minute. No. But the interesting thing, though, and this is something that I think that a lot of people, casual film, even film fans, don't recognize, mm-hmm. they focus on performance, the camera work, the action. They don't realize that you've written a script and you are actually guiding the costume designer and the set decorator to have their elements contribute to the performance, Mm. which makes that performance seem like the the power of that performance is more intangible. Because you're like, wait, why is this hitting me in this way? It's like, okay, because their costume is also giving you the impression of this emotion. The lighting is giving you the impression of this emotion. The colors are telling you, the viewer, to think a certain thing about this. Like if you pull all the red out, it feels cold, right? So if you have a cold hearted person wearing a cold color palette and the light's been pulled out, suddenly you're like, Wow, what a bitch, right? So I mean as far as like the actual construction of a scene, it goes way further than just the people on screen. Then you have lenses that achieve certain emotions, right? You have like forced perspective, camera angles. I mean the complexity that goes into even making—I haven't seen your film, Matt, so I'm not going to say this <laughs> level of confidence. But I think it was—I uh, think it was Roger Corman. He said it's hard to make a bad film. Roger Corman said that he made a lot of bad films, but his point was is that this stamina and the amount of decisions and the amount of stress and the amount of effort that goes into ma- just making any film, okay, is ridiculous. And then to make a good film yeah. where you have all these factors in line, you know what you're actually doing, is a whole other level.
0: Sure. And yeah, so basically what you're saying is that we just manipulate people. Yes,
1: we are masters of deceit, Yeah, is what John Butler would say.
0: Yeah, and that's, that's kind of true. But the thing is, and what the bummer is, is you can put in all this work and then it just doesn't matter. <laughs> if people don't connect with your story, if people don't connect with your characters, then... These kind of, I mean, I want to say more tertiary things, but they're they're really not. They don't that you put so much work in just don't seem to even be noticed, right? And there's a good way that things can not be noticed, and then there's like the the bad way. And uh, so
1: really, it comes back to your screenwriting class. Sure. How do we tell stories? Right. That's really what it comes down to. Yeah,
0: because if you have a, I mean, you can put in all the work you want, or you have a shit story, then people don't care.
1: Right you have the best crew in the world. Yeah. Terrible film. Yeah, it's possible. So it all comes down to can you tell a story? Yeah. It's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. So, I want to talk about your film too, from okay. uh, your first year. Let's talk about it. Okay, because <coughs> yeah. I saw it um, on the big screen at the Athena Grand. Before we knew each other. The a- Athena Cinema, rather. Yes, yes. No, we had met. We met at Midnight Madness tim ashby awesome dude shout out to tim what up tim uh so i go, I go into the, the the first year screenings and these are all black and white films shot on a 16 millimeter camera with either dual system sound so he recorded the sound separately or it was entirely folied in or it was a documentary so a little bit different there your film cues up. Well, first of all, you go up on stage, you're wearing a shirt with a wolf on it. You're wearing like Chuck Taylors and shorts. And I was like, who is this nerd? It's kind of what I was thinking. Um, I've had time to actually you know, get to know you since then.
0: Your first impression was not wrong.
1: <laughs> but it starts off and it's a boxing film. And I was like, finally, this is not a melodrama. There's actually punching going on in here. And, and it was very realistic. And it was, it was gritty, and it had this raging bull element to it, and the sound design was like very immersive, and it was, there was a gangster subplot, and it was what, like eight minutes? Less?
0: Three and a half minutes.
1: Was it three and a half? <laughs> it felt like it was a lot, you crammed a lot into three and a half minutes. Oh, yeah. It felt a lot longer than that. But the thing that really struck me is that you you managed to evoke a time period even though you shot it, that seemed like it was out of the 70s or even earlier, probably 50s actually, even though you shot it in 2015.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So basically, I really want our listeners to hear how you achieve that, even mm-hmm. though they haven't seen the film. The boxing thing caught me at first. That's why I actually talked to you mm-hmm. because, you know, we had an after party and I'm like, hey, I need to talk to this tall guy, this mm-hmm. nerd, find out what his philosophy is and figure things out and that's when i found out that you actually did some boxing Mm -hmm. and that you liked boxing films and that you wanted to do what was your approach to this particular project how did it start
0: uh i i have a deep and abiding uh love for film noir and uh it's just it's and on everything about it i mean it's you know for those, for people who don't know, so film noir came out of uh, B movies, basically in low budget, right? Because they they couldn't light the whole set, so they would hide the set uh, in darkness, right? Um, and, and and then two, uh, you know, German expressionism and all of these things that date way back. So time period wise, we're
1: talking like nineteen thirties,
0: forties. Yeah, we're talking about a time when some not great things were going on over in Germany. And, I see. Uh, all Say no more. Some, some not cool things, and a lot of uh, uh, German, you know, Jewish directors and people were were, were coming over to America, right, and bring bringing that German expressionism and, and German style over. Why? Well, like, okay. Give me some names. I don't fucking know. Fritz Fritz you, think, Lang. you think I make movies? Fritz Lang is a big one. You think one, I know right? anything about movies? I, yes. I don't know what the you. Fuck I'm talking you about. Teach shit. So, so these guys come over here, and uh, yeah, so so film noir kind of gets starts getting made. And also so people know, at the time, they weren't like, we're making film noir. They just were making films. Uh, and then later, the French are actually the people who doesn't hear the title. And it doesn't matter. Um, so I just have a deep and abiding affection for these films. And I you know, have this this history and just kind of fascination with, with boxing, even though I'm not very good at it. I just think it's a really, uh, to sound kind of, Doofy. Uh, I just think it's kind of like a a very honorable and kind of noble thing. It's an American tradition Uh, too. It's just uh, I I have a lot of love for it, so I wanted to kind of marry those things. And and
1: and you uh, knew that the restrictions were black and white mm and sixteen millimeter right film too for your first year.
0: Right. Yeah. Thank you.
1: That's actually so. I I the limitations determine the
0: form. uh, Absolutely. And and I finally had something that I thought okay. If I'm going to do black and white, I'm going to take advantage of black and white. And you think about the, the, the film stock that we were on was this, um, this Kodak uh, negative. No, 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 no. It's uh, just black and white uh, reversal film, which means you don't get a negative, which means you only get one chance at exposure, and the dynamic range isn't. It's okay for the stock we had, but it wasn't the best. Okay, so basically, what that means, what you're looking at, is uh, dynamic range. There, are not a lot of, um, you can't really see into the blacks. Okay, this is a short version, right? Which means you're gonna have just a lot of dark blacks. You're just, you're it, when it falls off into darkness, it's just dark. Mm-hmm. There's not, a, there's not really a gradient. Okay, it's the short way for, for people to. So I knew that I could play with this high contrast and have, you know, finally this filmic look So I finally had a medium that I felt like I could make uh, this kind of love letter on So going in with those those feelings I just made, you know, the story is, is nothing new We've been talking story to death, but the story is is pretty par for the course guy is a boxer is becoming shitty he's been losing so this is the first time he goes to take money to throw a fight, decides not to throw the fight, gets killed, despite giving the money back, right? The, the only twist I tried to put on the trope was that he gives the money back and doesn't try to run. So the climax of the film is he walks into the, the base or wherever that this, this old man, old mobster is and throws his money at him and is like, you know, I'm done, I'm out. And he goes to walk away and he gets killed. He gets shot. Uh, that's the one story element that I tried to at least kind of have be original, but I'm sure it's happened before. Uh, anyway, I don't know. What was the question? Um,
1: the question was, I don't remember what the question was. Forget about it. Um, but boxing, I want to Uh, talk about boxing because you have this high contrast, um, style, um, very specific lighting. Um, raging bull-esque but the thing is we've been talking about story and the kind of stories you want to tell but you went for a straight up genre film noir piece Mm
2: -hmm.
1: I think that's really interesting Mm. you'd already written a couple features, you'd been in Korea Mm. you have the opportunity at an art film school Mm. essentially to do your creative Uh really I mean am I gonna I'm probably gonna sound really um, tell us about it come on what, what do we have here? You went straight genre yeah. film noir, but you had a plan, mm-hmm. and you just did it. You operated DP and you were directing at the same time. Mm-hmm. And where did you shoot? I want to talk about Sam's because yeah, that's absolutely when, when I Sam's. visited Sam's, I was completely blown away. Give us a little backstory on how you found this gym. Let me
0: let me introduce Sam's gym. And Please I want you do to it. Talk about your no. Experience Go afterwards. Yeah, absolutely. You have so Ask much me anything about it. I just want you to tell. so so Sam's gym is this place in uh, Gloucester, Ohio. It's been open for about 90 years. Uh, it's fan, 90?
1: It's, That's 90, dear listener, not it's, 9.
0: It's fantastic. Uh, so this guy, Sam Jones, sweetest guy on the planet, uh, his dad was a boxer, owned the gym, he came up under him, boxed, did kickboxing, whatever. So he owns the place now. Uh, it's a donation-based establishment. He doesn't charge you. Uh... His motto is, you know, uh, champ, I think champions in the ring, champions in life. Uh, just trying to motivate people to use the discipline you learn in boxing in your everyday life. And to, to use that as a tool to, to um, help lead or, or uh, direct youths in a more positive direction. Good guy. Uh, he also knows what the hell he's talking about. You know, and um, the boxer in the film, not the lead actor, but the boxer in the film, um, man by the name of Brian Camiches. And Brian, I can't I don't know of his weight class, but Brian currently holds the belt for his weight class in West Virginia and is I think he's I think he's probably had like only two fights on ESPN. But he's you know, he's definitely had some some notoriety and he's he's been he's had a pretty successful boxing career all things considered and uh, I got him to to be in the film and he's just I mean it was I was not expect I find this place I walk in how did
1: you find it you just look up boxing Gym Ohio
0: yeah and I just I you know just checked them all out and you had had
1: enough time between uh-huh. breaking your rib uh-huh. and coming back and you're like you know what I'm not done with boxing is that how it happened
0: yeah I'm I'm pretty stubborn, and when I become interested in something, I kind of stick to it. And uh, yeah, okay, it was time. Yeah, it's time to check it out. And while I couldn't, you know, the place is only uh, we we've as Robert knows, our class schedule here is such that you can't get out to train regularly. Um, but I I wanted to still do something with the gym once I went and visited because it's just you know the age of it is just so. I mean, it's pretty majestic, you know, in, in my estimation. But anyway, so Sam was great. Said, uh, "Can I shoot here?" And he's like, "Oh yeah." <laughs> I was like, "What? That's is that easy?"
1: You thought he would say no.
0: I thought there was a chance. Yeah can right. I can I roll up with a bunch of film equipment and shoot in your gym? No, is what I would say. No. Uh, but yeah super kind and then I was like okay Well, i'm just gonna keep firing I guess You know went up to this guy brian Um I'm just gonna just, would you like be interested in being in a film? Yeah <laughs> Sounds good <laughs> Okay, cool Uh, yeah, okay. So what's gonna be on this date? I don't know. Does that work for you? I think I could can, can block that off if I get scheduled for work, then i'm just you know Okay
1: So the thing the thing about sam's gym is uh th- <laughs> when I went there, you, you you roll up, it's like a 25 minute drive from Athens, Ohio. I get in Matt's car, drive out there. We get to actually, we get to Gloucester, and this is the epitome of a one horse town. There are no traffic lights. I don't even think I saw a stop sign. There might be two lights on the actual street. It looks like a great place to stage a a gunfight at high <clears> noon. <throat> I mean this this is old. Mining Town. Even Sam told me it's the poorest county in Ohio. Okay? It, it is It is like stepping into a time capsule. It really is remarkable. And then all, all the buildings are brick. You walk in the front door and the place is packed. There's a guy at the front desk who has a little sign-in sheet. And anytime you go in to a new place, you're overwhelmed by the, the stimulus of just seeing a new place for the first time and trying to figure out what can I focus on, what actually is going on. I get in there and it's just... Bam, it's like get a hit in the face. I see girls sparring on the floor in front of me. I see little kids, I see posters covering the walls. Now, this is in January, okay, it's cold out. There are these little wall-mounted space heaters that are only heating about three feet in front of the actual space heater. So everyone can see their breath. So you see people sparring and their breath is hanging in the air and then you see this little glowing thing on the wall that's supposed to heat the place. Matthew says, hey, you know, follow me. We go upstairs, we go through this tarp that's like keeping the cold air out. Go up to the second floor, a bunch of heavy bags. Free, it's like maybe 45 degrees in there. Get some gloves on, go, go ahead, hit the bag. Hit the bag to warm up, there's a string going across the space to kind of duck and kind of get your footwork figured out. So I'm hitting the bag and I haven't hit a heavy bag in in years at this point. It's probably been like 2 years since I since I touched a heavy bag. And it's awesome. If you've never hit a heavy bag, if if just do it. Figure it out. Get some gloves on. Tape your wrists up. Just hit the heavy bag. The feeling of accomplishment when you connect in a nice, oh, it's amazing. It's amazing. And it's 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 available to everyone. It doesn't matter who you are. So I get this nice little warm-up, hit in the bag. Matthew's showing me like, hey, you know, your footwork here, kind of move in here and move out. Because goes, okay, we're going to go downstairs, talk to Sam. So before we'd actually gone up there, uh, Sam had said, we have a couple other people sparring. It'll be a few minutes. So we go back downstairs and Matthew's getting lined up to do some pad work, right? Is that kind of what's going on? Focus mitts. Right, focus myths. Okay. And uh were you working with Chad? Drew. Drew, okay. So I'm 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 just watching this as an observer, and he's getting in there. He's got the gloves up and he's he's doing combos and he's doing he's doing pad work. And meanwhile there are people doing pad work around me and there are little kids and they're, they're the, they what really blew my mind is that there were these girls in there who were just solid, who look like they could fuck you up. And then when Sam isn't busy, comes over, and I've never met this guy before. He's like in his 60s, 70s. He's in his 70s? My God. Okay, this guy moves like a panther, okay? He moves better, more smoothly, more quickly than anyone that you know, okay? I'm just going to say that out loud, (laughs) all right? You don't know anybody who moves like this guy does. He's in his 70s? you got to be kidding me. That's amazing. So he starts just, hey, welcome. And I'm like, "Uh, uh, hi. I don't even know it's actually Sam. I just see like, hey, this old guy's coming over talking to me. He's got these pads in his hands. And he says, oh, see that girl? She does jujitsu. She's from Brazil. She's going to have a show coming up soon. She's going to be fighting in Columbus. We're going to get her striking up to point so she can actually compete. She's great on the ground. Not not terribly good standing up. Going to get her striking up. Going to be good. She's going to dominate. I'm like, cool. See that girl over there? She's a tough woman. She competes in tough man competitions. She's going to dominate. She's been winning. We're going to get her
0: striking up. She won twice. She, she uh, After you you left, and I think this was um, late February, she won the tough man for her second year. it's so.
1: amazing. Now, Sam is is talking a mile a minute. I can't even approximate his cadence. I'm trying. But he also said, in, the, in between telling me about the different competitors in there, and he goes, you know, there's boxing... American kickboxing and then Thai boxing and the difference between the between all those different styles and Then he's told me that they have the gym open for kids to come after school. So they don't get into trouble This is a free gym donation-based He's teaching kids how to box how to do kickboxing training them Making sure he's giving them life lessons along the way. I see Matthew hitting the pads in the corner I see these two girls like going ham All right on the floor and i and i I felt completely like i had walked into mickey's gym in rocky and it's in gloucester ohio it really was a remarkable situation you had a full boxing ring in there it, it, it was like a time capsule and as soon as sam wasn't busy he just comes over and goes you got any gloves and i'm flat-footed completely flat-footed like what, uh, uh, um, yeah i brought my like training gloves that i'd gotten at a walmart probably i can't even remember and he goes no take those off put the 16s on i'm like okay fine or eight eights was it eight ounces so 16 ounce gloves on and he just holds up the paddles and says stick and i go what does that mean i have no idea and stick means jab right so you have like a jab. you jab with your left And he just walks me through all the combinations, and every number is a different style of combination. It doesn't, the numbers don't refer to the actual strike, the numbers refer to the combination. And he teaches me the basic striking, basic offensive striking, teaches me basic footwork, teaches me about how to like circle around an opponent, teaches me the basic defensive thing. And this is maybe 20 minutes of work. And every time I screw up, I'm like beating myself over the head. I'm thinking, oh, I screwed up. And he goes, no, no, that's all right, stick. And just resets me back to starting point. Never tells him I did something wrong. He knows I know I did something wrong. And then he tells me how to correct it. And then after we're all done, you know, I I completely just lose track of time and like the gym is like pretty much cleared out. And he goes, okay, got something to work on till next time. And it it is just, I, I don't think I've ever been in an environment that was that hospitable where I felt like people were there to help me, that they wanted me to do really well. It wasn't a burden. Um, The fact that, like, I didn't actually pay anything. I felt I didn't have any cash on me. I felt bad about it. But, my God, the posters on the walls. It's the oldest active boxing gym in the country. Okay, 90 years. The second oldest gym, like, opened a year after this one. And it's just... I don't know. It's a different world. It's like walking into a different world. And that's what's really cool about it. Because even though that time of the the golden era of american boxing is pre- i mean come on ufc it, it, the golden era of boxing is well gone now i don't know if that's an organizational thing i don't know if it's people get bored with it i mean you know mayweather's still getting fights um we'll see but it felt really genuine and i really want to go back but i have editing class is <laughs> really the whole point of the story Just kidding. No, I can't. I got too much work to do. Too much work to do. But uh, I want to bring this back to what, what I was talking about earlier, where it's, you know, he talks about training kids if, you know, they can be a champion in the ring, champion in life. And when you started boxing in Korea, does maintaining that regimen, that training, structure the rest of your life? Of and course. if so, how?
0: <clears throat> I mean, of course, but I feel like I'll repeat myself, you know. So now, um, this year, fortunately, this semester i've been able to to go regularly since december to sams and been training and been sparring more and all that stuff and um you know right now you know my mission is i'm trying to get a fight right now and how's that um, going by the way it's Any up word? in the air sam keeps you know when i first approached him about it he said oh yeah yeah we we can do that we can do get, get you set up I was like, oh, oh, God, no no hesitation. He was just like, yeah, you can do it. And I was like, okay, okay, yeah, I was kind of expecting you to say, It'll be like a year out, but uh, yeah, okay. And um, then I've been, since then, like I'm, I'm sober again now. And uh, I've really, you know, been focusing on that. But I asked him again, I think three weeks ago. And he was telling me about my options, and, you know, there are these all-American kind of fights. And then he's like, do you want to get, you know, we can get you an unsanctioned fight a lot faster. And by unsanctioned, I don't mean, you know, in a basement, in a chain link fence where people throwing money. Barbed wire. uh, (laughs) Uh, uh, But, you know, just fights that aren't necessarily recognized by, you know, Americans. It won't count towards your record. Right. Right. And I said, you know, I'd be willing to do either one. Uh, I just kind of wanted to, to have something. And he said, okay, look into So I'm still waiting to hear word on that. And in the meantime, I've just been sparring probably more than I should. And I would recommend only sparring once a week. And for the last, I took this week and the week off uh, before. I took this week off because I had, I had a production. And then I took the week off before because I had an uh, injury. Uh, where I got my nose a little broken, um, but what was I say? Yeah, the week before that, I was I was sparring uh, twice a week, just which is what you have to do. I mean, it's the same thing as what I said about screenwriting. Is you know you can have all the instruction in the world, but as we've talked about, and the, the 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 saying you like to to use is. Everyone has a plan until what they get punched in the face, right? So it's a whole other thing is you can have this perfect form and you know have hit the bag 10,000 times and then have never sparred with anyone and then you get in and Oh, no, what is this new feeling right. of disruption? So, uh, you know, I've just been trying to spar as much as I can and and kind of learn My bad habits so that I can correct them and I know that I have a lot of them and um, You know sparring with as many different different opponents as I can To try and deal with different fighting styles and different levels of aggression, defense, offense, and that type of thing.
1: How much can you turn off your conscious decision-making process when you're actually in the ring? I can't. You can't? I can't, personally. Can you think fast enough to react to an opponent who is mixing things up and punching you in the face? Uh,
0: Yeah, sometimes.
1: How do you find that balance, though? It's like how much can you rely on the drilling and the training and how much do you have to be problem-solving in the moment? And how can you stay in the moment when the stakes are I might get knocked
0: out? Well, first of all, I'm never gonna get knocked out. I'm just kidding. Okay. I like all to right. make okay for, I like to make <laughs> these jokes Robert Robert knows I like to make these jokes I, I think arrogance is really funny. So I like to, to make really arrogant comments uh, No, I mean, it's just the reason you hit the bag ten thousand times is to have that muscle memory so that your body Like you said can react while i'm thinking about the next move because boxing is is physical chess this is a conversation sam and i have all the time It's like you know it's not people think oh they're just people wildly swinging at one another not so i mean even these guys that you see that like they look you know street or tough or whatever you know they're they're thinking they're they're moving they're practiced Mm-hmm. And um, you see that Cub Swanson Duho
1: Choi fight? No. Oh, we gotta watch that. Do you have it? Yeah, on the Fight Pass. Yeah, we'll, we'll have to watch we'll that sometime. It. But it <laughs> looks like he's throwing these wide haymakers. But when you actually listen to interviews about the fight, because Duho Choi is so technically sound, he was adjusting his plane of attack and his rhythm so that he couldn't react to what he'd seen before. So the whole time he's adjusting the actual path of his punches and the speed at which he's throwing them. It's like throwing a changeup in, in baseball. Mm-hmm. You, know, you throwing all these fastballs and also you throw a changeup. They're expecting the fastball and suddenly it's coming in really slow. It's like, oh wait, what? Then all of a sudden, bam, they get hit. So yeah, Cub Swanson looks like he's throwing, just wailing on haymakers and trying to make it like it a slobber knocker kind of fight. But in reality, it's part of his plan. Sure. So you hit that back 10,000 times. You get in the ring, you're sparring, and you're still thinking about combos. You're still thinking about mm-hmm. reactions. You're thinking about like, oh, I didn't like that punch.
0: Yeah, I mean, but for If you me, throw
1: on a one-two, that first thing you're like, oh, I didn't like that, then suddenly you're getting hit in the jaw yeah, and as you're thinking about it.
0: Yeah, and that'll happen. And that's one of my big problems is that I, I do think too much um, because I just as a person I overanalyze everything. And, and two, you're talking about how this affects you in life is like, you know, this is pushing me towards make a choice now. you got to make a choice now. No time to think about it. You, th- that's not to say that you're not making a choice, though. It's not like, you know, it's not like it, it's, I'm completely just operating on instinct. But it just, you have to make a choice now. You don't have any more time. Go. And that's what's good for me personally. But time does feel like it's it's slowed, though, as well. I mean, depending on your opponent, like this most recent guy that I fought, uh, that I sparred with, to be specific, was a southpaw. And southpaws are, are really um, strange if you haven't sparred with one before. This was the second second time that I would sparred with a southpaw. And basically, what you want to do with a southpaw is you want to keep moving to your left, right? And the reason you want to move to your left is because you... Want to Stay out of the way Of Their left Because their left Is their Their strong hand Right So they're jabbing With their right And that straight Comes from their left Okay So the reason you're going To, to your left Is because you're trying To avoid their left mm-hmm. Copy All Right um, So That's the basic idea Now what that means For him Is that he's going to Have to try and Cut me off So that that he can use the ropes to his advantage to when I try to circle, you know, he's going to cut me off and, and push towards the outside uh, so that I can't get around to his weak side. Right. So instead of just taking the center ring, like you would want to do, typically he takes center, but then kind of tries to push me towards the ropes in that way. Like, you know, everyone's always trying to push people towards the ropes, but the angle at which he's, he's pushing me is different. Okay.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: So first round, we did three rounds. So first round, he you know, he messed me up, not gratuitously, but it was it was just a surprise. Okay, I'm not exactly sure what to do. In between rounds is when I got the tip. You know, you're not going to his left enough. You're you're falling right into where he wants you. You're trying to set up your right, but he's setting up his left. He's better than you, he's faster than you. You gotta cut that off. Second round, I do better. Second round I start conditioning him. I start throwing a lot of one-twos and I started throwing a lot of threes, okay? A two, for people who don't know, is just a jab straight. And a three is a jab straight left hook, okay? So I start throwing a lot of these, and then also a 10, and a 10 is a jab, and then immediately into a hook with your left hand. Okay. Okay. So you go, you know, pump, you can throw a little feint so in between if you jab. want, but then okay. a hook, okay? So I'm just throwing these, kind of letting my right hand be dormant. I'm kind of conditioning him to be watching for the left. So he starts to to feel comfortable. He's only going to throw these. He's only going to throw these these three different combinations. I get him to go. I bait him with that to go for his left hook, right? Which would have sucked if
1: he would have connected. Because your right hand is down. Well, not down, but you're not throwing anything with your right. Right. So okay.
0: I mean, it's 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 in guard, which which would have blocked the left. All right. Hook. So you've got you got, you
1: got your right hand up near your chin. Of
0: course. Okay. Because if you're not using your hand, it needs to be glued up in in defense. But um, I condition him to be looking for that left. I I wait for him. He starts to throw the jab to set up his left hook. And then I just immediately throw a right straight with no lead up right into his face. Okay. And took him off balance. Connected. I did. Nice. And that's, I mean, it's, it's probably the one good hit I got for all three rounds. This is the second round. This is the second round. Okay. This is probably the one good hit I got for all three rounds. You know, not to say I didn't tag him other times but this was this was the one moment where i was like i had a plan i went in i succeeded i took him off balance felt good right um so there's a lot of that which is to say there's a lot of that in boxing of conditioning and and that type of thing reading your opponent trying to manipulate your opponent uh into being where you want them to be so that you can throw what you want to throw and prevent them from throwing what they want to throw
1: and how much of that is going on in the middle of the round and how much of that was premeditated before you even set foot in the ring?
0: That was all in the ring. That's in the ring? That was in the ring.
1: So you're seeing what he's throwing and you're like, mm-hmm. okay. Yeah. While defending, figure out best plan of attack. Uh-huh. Are you fainting while you're doing this? Yeah, some, Yeah, of course. Doing some fa- throwing some fainting, how he <laughs> yeah. reacts. It, it's like you watch Rocky. Mm-hmm. And yeah. it's all about heart.
0: It's about heart. It's about how many times you can get hit. No, it how many times you can get back up. It is, but you prefer to not. Get but at hit.
1: the same time, like I, I don't think that and Rogan talks about this. Joe Rogan always says, you know, fighting is high level problem solving with dire physical consequences. I'm just thinking about that every every time I talk to you about boxing. I'm I'm just imagining like my God, like that. You know, all the training in the world, and then you get in the ring, and it's like, okay, am I quick enough? no can i connect sometimes <laughs> am i prepared <laughs> did i do enough cardio i mean there's all those like little things it's just you know i mean you're not you're not in a traditional fight camp obviously no you're just you're waiting for that fight you're trying to get as prepared as you can when the actual opportunity arises but i mean well, another thing it's funny well, not funny but one of the professors one of our professors mentioned to me that because I have all these different interests outside of filmmaking and you can be the Tarantino type that just watches movies all day you know is obsessed with film history and is you know total film geek but the people that I have really enjoyed talking to since I've been here have been people that have interests outside of filmmaking that have nothing to do with capturing an image on screen it is all about whatever their extracurricular activities are and I think that that probably lent itself to better filmmaking in a way and I mean I can't prove that Obviously, but I, I'm noticing now that the things that I do outside of class and outside of filmmaking make me excited about going back to the camera, back to the microphone, back to the editing suite, back to the you know blank page, and and that's the thing that I think I'm really and really need to maintain to make my time here effective. Absolutely, and it's cool that there are so many opportunities here to do that, and the fact that Sam's gym is like a 20, 20 minute drive away from <laughs> campus. It's just mind blowing to me. I still can't believe yeah. it. It is one of the most cinematic locations. You walk in, ring in the middle of the room. You know, lonely street, one street light, brick buildings, it's beautiful. It's beautiful. And I love that, it's amazing. I don't know where I was going with
0: that whole uh, thread. Let, let me. <laughs> I'll, I'll bring it back around and say, uh, don't get too excited because I did get that one good punch and I definitely did win that second round but in the third round he punched me so hard that he cracked the cartilage in my nose. So <laughs> did this you is, lose this some is blood not,
1: there? Did some blood fly out?
0: It did. Yeah, and this is not a story of uh, total victory but a minor victory mm-hmm. uh, because that was not not cool.
1: What about... The difference between filmmaking as a collaborative art yeah. and boxing being more of a solo kind of performance can can you apply a solo endeavor like boxing to something collaborative like filmmaking
0: I don't think boxing is solo okay because you're you know it is you, it is you in the ring when it's time to spar or fight or whatever you're doing but I mean this is a collaborative effort in that you've been taught by so many people and you've been coached by so many people and then you have their support and you have um whoever's helped you uh, at the gym, whoever's helped you with your with your diet. I mean, I don't uh I don't really think of it as a, as a solo so you, effort you got that, Sam, you got sparring partners. Absolutely. Right, okay. You know, it's and without those key elements, you're not going to to be the best that you can be at at what you're doing when you are um, Actually swinging and even then, you know, you have a second in your corner To to be giving you tips between rounds and even you know yelling at you during so I don't really think of it as as a solo effort. Okay All right I
1: also wanted to ask you about um, your approach because we talked about screenwriting, we've talked about boxing, mm-hmm. um, kind of where you came from, psychology, sociology. Mm-hmm. Do you have... Okay, I'm trying to think of the best way to phrase this. Do you have a particular agenda for the kind of films you want to make as a film student, and is that different from what you want to do as a career? Mm-hmm.
0: Care to elaborate? No, I.
1: I uh, I mean, do you have like okay? These are the ideas I need to express, or these are the demons I need to exorcise? Sure.
0: There are there are themes that I'm 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 eternally uh, curious about and want to explore. I mean, I think that uh, one thing you and I have definitely in common. Correct me if I'm wrong. Is is a fascination with with the idea of masculinity? Yes. Right. Uh, I, you know, I myself am I'm not a particularly masculine person. Give yourself a little and, bit of credit, and, Matthew. No, 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 it, it, It's I, w- I, I want
1: you to say something nice about yourself before we're done here, because all you do is self-deprecate.
0: Sure. <laughs> not a masculine feature. No. So true. I'm 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 very interested in the idea of masculinity. I'm very interested in the idea of, of toxic masculinity. I'm interested in violence. I'm interested in. Um, how love for something can be perverted, uh, and can, can corrupt. I'm interested in, uh, what people do after they, they win. What do you, what do you do after you succeed at something? Uh, if, if all of your life and, and driving forces have been aiming towards a goal, what happens to you once you've achieved a goal? Mm. Um, I am particularly interested in horror, and uh, I think I ultimately want to probably make horror films. My thesis will be some level of, of horror for sure next year. Uh, I And when I pitched the film I made this year, I pitched it as a romantic um, melodrama shot like a horror film. I can't wait to see it. Uh, and, and I don't know. I mean, when I said that, uh, our faculty kind of just raise their eyebrows at me but you know, you know knowing the story it's about people kind of being horrible to each other and the environment is very tense and uncomfortable and I think that when, it, when I say horror it speaks to to a level of everyday horror in, in terms of rejection and getting your hopes up about something and, and these kind of um, ideas of, of love and then, and then toxic romance. So I do think I consider it to kind of be a a horror film, definitely not in the traditional sense, Mm -hmm. but in things that we're kind of afraid of in our everyday lives and, and tackling those fears.
1: So you have a thematic preoccupation, not necessarily a stylistic one. Sure. Okay. All right. That makes sense. Have you read the way of men by Jack Donovan? I have not. Yeah. Okay. I've got it on my shelf there. I need you to read it. Okay. All right, cool. Done. Uh, so basically, are, are you trying to get mistakes out of the way? Are you trying to get more experience with particular lighting setups? Um, from film to film, now that you did, I mean, the title of your film was It Gets Worse. I mean, mm-hmm. come on, we know what we're in for. Um, was it like, okay, now I can put that idea to bed, time to move on to the next extension of that idea? Is there a thread? Is there a, a rising action to the, actually what you're trying to achieve artistically?
0: Does that even make sense? No, it does. Uh, I mean, the answer is yes. I think that that e- with each thing, I I get kind of I get more bold about pushing towards something more tense, because coming coming from this from a self taught perspective, you know, you kind of only when you're younger you kind of only make comedy, because what do you have the resources for? What do you have the lighting for?
1: Goofing around with your friends. Goofing
0: around with your friends. Right.
1: Did you did you, did you skateboard? I
0: did, yeah. Okay, but uh, ages ago, <laughs> ages ago. I gotta show you my skate film sometime.
1: <laughs> <laughs> it holds um, up really well, I assure I, you. I believe you. But, high eight tapes. Oh, not even DV. Not even
0: TV. Not even DV. Oh, wow, you are.
1: Sony TRV three fifty high eight. Huh. Anyway, please. Yeah.
0: the The, the nicest camera we had. I think it was a Canon GL two Mini DV. A Sony HV20, real ritzy, I know, bougie cameras in the day. Would your mom buy you that? She sure did. Yeah, she sure did. Um, bless her. (laughs) Uh, But uh, what was the question? Narrative thread, yeah, yeah, progression of ideas. So you make these, you make kind of these comedies because that's what you you can make. And I've kind of been getting up the courage over the years and, and you know, working in this kind of low-key lighting and, and whatever, the, if, it's a, if it's a boxing thing, if it's a, a, a melodrama, you know, trying to find my visual style is kind of consistent for the most part throughout these two, if you're talking about just these two films. So I'm definitely building a look that I, that I like. And... Um, it's film noir is definitely the core of that. Absolutely. Okay. Film, film noir and horror is in the cornerstone of, of my visual uh, preferences in terms of in terms of lighting, and then you know I, I listed Park Chan Wook as being uh, an, an influence or someone that I, I really like anyway, and um, I think visually I I really like what he does. Color palette wise and, and uh, angle wise, uh, framing wise, and of course um, you know cross in, in terms of blocking and Billy Wilder. We're also talking about blocking. Uh, anyway, so like I said, I'm really just building up the courage to make these more, I guess, serious films, which I, I hate to say because I feel like you kind of become like um, a self-parody or, or a trope. You know, like I'm in film school and now I'm going to make my serious films. Well, okay. and and But, but when I say that, I, and this is how I'm not being self-deprecating about it, is... You know, I'm someone who, I take the work very seriously, I don't take myself very seriously. And I think that it, it's an important distinction, and kind of something that bothers me is, you know, going back to college, you know, if you're at a party, distinctly, uh, there's this, there's this one guy at this party, scarf, glasses, just the jacket, you know, the blazer... He he looks like what you what one in college would imagine a filmmaker, you know, hipster looks like. Right, right. So you got this guy, and he's he's with a group of girls, and he's he's talking about how he's a filmmaker, and he's talking about whatever bullshit. My friend and I, my, my filmmaking partner and I, walk over. This is someone who I'd been making films with since I was fourteen. We're now in college. Walk over. Oh hey, um, my friend Eric says. I make films too. What kind of films do you make? And he goes, Oh, well, well, I haven't made anything yet, but I got a lot of really good ideas.
1: Was he self-describing as a filmmaker?
0: Yes. Oh God. And that's the thing is, you know, even people who actually do, um, make productions, I think people kind of tend to get up their own asses about it. And I think this is kind of where, maybe you and I come at it from a similar angle. Whereas like, I don't, I don't really think of myself as a, as a filmmaker, uh, yet because to me, filmmaker is, is an occupation. And, and maybe that's, maybe that's too high a a standard because it quite literally is something I do. Yeah.
1: Okay. Occupation, lifestyle, identity. These are all different ways of looking at it. Sure. Right. And to what degree are you embodying those particular, uh, categories right right so so this guy was talking about himself as if he was a filmmaker yeah and he was putting on the affectations of an artiste
0: of an, he was very uh sophisticated
1: what kind of ideas did he have did he have an idea like okay he There's a girl no and, and she, she works at a coffee shop mm. oh. and, and she's quirky oh and fresh um, and, and she listens to um she listens to music that you wouldn't expect mm-hmm. and um she has a butterfly tattoo oh interesting right was it was
0: that kind of thing I, again, he didn't pitch us his ideas. Because as really? Soon, well, as soon as, as
1: soon as you call him
0: out, he's yeah, like, hey, I he's I like Yeah, I Right. And then, of course, um, you know, he continues to somehow miraculously still hang out with, with all the females he was hitting on. And then we just amscray. Um But I just, I feel like, like I was saying, you know, to, to this day, you meet people who are like, ah, yeah, I'm really into film and... They just take it so seriously. And they take themselves taking it seriously so seriously. Do they talk uh, about,
1: this is an important film? It's important.
0: It's very important. And I enunciate everything. I hate... You don't understand. You don't understand me. You don't understand these films, these high academic concepts that your lowly mind cannot comprehend. Grasp. (laughs) No, okay, you do not understand what I'm saying to you, and you never could. Right. Sorry. Yeah, it's a movie. I mean, and... uh... Don't get me wrong. I'm not trying to say films are culturally important.
1: They They, they, are. They 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 certainly
0: are. They have a lot of importance in our society. After you've got the work print. Right.
1: Right? Right?
0: After it's been a decade and we've seen... How it affected things. And we have a a better idea of the cultural context of its production and distribution and its place in history.
1: Uh, Okay, so so you go into projects going, okay, okay, telling this little story, Uh four shitty people sitting down to dinner. Sure. Go. Mm -hmm. That's it. Yeah. That's all it should be. But it is work. I mean, for me, yeah,
0: it's it's work. It's work. But but it's like
1: every set I'm on, I approach it as work. What needs to be done? Let's do it. It's a job. I don't think about the big picture when I have a specific task to do. If I'm doing sound, if I'm gripping, it's move this light to this location. Forget about everything else. Mm. That's it for me. Sure. Now, while directing, that's a completely different thing where it's like, I don't know about you, but I, when I was shooting my film too, which I have still not edited, don't worry, I'll get it done. <coughs> um, I cared about the project so much because I wrote it and it was an extension of who I am that the pressure I put on myself was just massive. Any other job, if it's someone else's production, it, relatively a breeze. But when the creative burden of the project is on your shoulders, it's it's unbelievable. I'd never experienced that before. Even on my film one, I didn't care about the script. It was point A, point B, conflict, resolution, whatever, get the shots, done. But when I actually had a project I cared about, suddenly I understood the expression. And this is going to sound a little melodramatic. But the expression was, you know, suffering for your art. Like I actually suffered. For that piece. (laughs) I can't even call it art. It's a 16 millimeter black and white student film. But for me, it was, my God, this is important. Sure. I don't know, man. So so you're saying that, like, you treat the work seriously, but you don't take yourself seriously.
0: That's, I mean, that's
1: the, yeah. Is that, like, on your wall, written? No. On a plaque?
0: No, I think that it's just a, a personality thing. Because, like you said, like, so much of myself truly is about making films and and consuming them and reading books and all that stuff. But I've just found, at least in my conversations with people, that just the way people like to talk about movies, the way people like to talk about literature, uh, I I just have, I seem to have a different approach. Uh, And I don't don't quite know where I sit, because finding myself back in this academic environment, is interesting because you start, you know, in our film studies classes, you get all these critiques from these uh, high-minded critics, right? And they they start to have these... Be gentle.
1: Uh, Be gentle, Matthew.
0: They, they start to have these opinions, which they mm-hmm. then uh, try to sell as fact. Yeah. And that that's, for me, when it becomes a problem. When they're trying to uh, to push whatever their agenda is as fact, even so much as to say...
1: Or their rigid, critical framework that they sure. apply to every film they
0: watch. Uh, so, so much so that sometimes they would try to supersede the, what the director has said about the film um, and say, no, that's not what your movie is about. That's not the theme of your film. I know you said the theme of your film was power, but the theme of your film is blah, blah, blah. So I don't know.
1: Yeah, it's tough, and that, that's one of the things that really bothered me about film criticism. When I was an undergrad, I remember one time I watched this film, I don't know if you ever saw it, Me, You, and Everybody We Know. Me, You, and Everyone We Know.
0: Yeah, the, the pooping back and forth forever. Yes, Yeah, yeah. right,
1: so I watched <laughs> that, and I remember, I think I was. Yeah, I was a sophomore. <laughs> I was a sophomore when I watched it, and my roommate was a huge film buff like big time like watch movies constantly he's probably owned the almost the entire criterion collection kind of thing and i watched that film and didn't like it didn't like it straight up just like eh, could have done without that and then said you know i don't think that um the way they approached that theme was effective and um yeah, I didn't like it. I thought the acting was weird, and um, I'm sorry I don't like uh, quirky female leads that cast themselves as the quirky, or female, like a director who casts themselves as like, yeah, I don't know. So, there are a lot of elements about that film that just kind of rubbed me as like, ah, no, come on, nah, I'm sorry, I don't like it. So I tell my roommate that I didn't like it, and he's there with his girlfriend, and then he said, well, I think you probably didn't like it because you didn't understand it and i was livid being condescended to it's like no you just don't understand why this is a great film that's why you don't like it as if my lack of context or my my um i don't even have a I don't, I don't have a critical framework i like it or i don't i mean even when i l- listen to music like i can appreciate something being a well crafted song or album but if it doesn't hit me in my gut then i don't like it right sure. But when I was told that I probably just didn't like it because I didn't understand it, I was so furious. And then I wanted to say, well, what have you made? Right, then I start getting defensive. And then I start thinking like, what's wrong with me? How come everyone likes this film and all the critics like it, but I don't, What? what what's wrong? And it threw me into this complete like tailspin of, do I know anything about art or creativity or whatnot? And I still think about that now, which is why, when i read a critical analysis of something i think oh these are the people that are going to be critiquing my work
0: got it and just to put a to put a pin in it and i think now like, it's
1: possible but i'm, so, I'm no, sorry i'm sorry for it's possible that i didn't like it cuz i don't understand it sure like i'm not saying that he's wrong but for, but for him to say that as a possibility <laughs> was so insulting i don't know anyway i'm sorry No. Haven't gotten over it, clearly. (laughs) (coughs) I'm not bitter.
0: Uh, No, I just think, Uh. really, to sum up what I was saying, and and I think the through line of what you're saying is that it's not that you can like or dislike whatever you want, and that's the point. If someone, if a critic doesn't like something or says, I don't think that this film was effective at communicating its theme, you're like, cool. But when you start to say, Speaking, speaking in almost like an authoritative or, or um, objective fashion, and saying like, "Oh no, you didn't do that because what you really did was you know, like, ah, I don't know, man." Like, so
1: what? when someone treats it as objective when absolutely. it's clearly a subjective point of view, absolutely, is, is a, okay, right? So, I mean, it, to be fair, I was eighteen when I watched *You Me sure, and Everyone sure, sure. so I,
0: but and but that's the point though, is is you as an eighteen year old, you're allowed to not like something. And I think that people even, you know, in film school get shy if they don't like a movie that's heralded as, as, a, as a fantastic movie. It's like, oh, maybe you just did not like the movie. Right. That's okay. You know, watch it, learn from it, respect it. But if you don't like it, you don't like it. Right. And that's, that should be fine. Yeah. But humans at our core are just so damn insecure about, like, is my opinion right? Do I, yeah, do I exactly. Think what I think it's it's like I need validation, right? I need, I need a critical consensus. I need
1: to be on the same page as the gatekeepers exactly. of higher learning.
0: And and that's the problem is that we we do not encourage individual agency and individual opinions. Uh. Anywhere is that really. just the
1: arts in general?
0: Yeah, absolutely.
1: And I I think what is it about film though? I mean, for, I mean, I guess it's just it's our art form of choice. It's our creative outlet of choice that makes sure. it a little bit more difficult. But, and that—that's a whole other. That's like another three-hour conversation, as far as film criticism is concerned. But I—I've I, noticed that film critics seem to have a like a, some bullet points, mm-hmm. and if the film doesn't hit those bullet points, then it's not going to pass muster.
0: Sure, I mean, probably. Which on.
1: is weird to me, and it seems kind of reductionist.
0: I mean, I'm sure it is, but again, which e- might
1: be why I'm not a <coughs> film critic, and even why in I this don't case. write papers
0: <laughs> about films. In this case, I, I don't know. I'm just someone who, I'm just always like, yeah, maybe. That's I, a I'm, good I mean, way to look at it. I'm, I'm, that, I'm, that guy, I'm willing you know, to just, allow for the
1: possibility that I'm wrong here. Yeah. And that you're right. But also, you might be wrong and I might be right. Yeah. And let's just move on to the next movie.
0: I, I just think it's, it's more of a gray area on most things in life like that. Like you get, you know, stand behind what you believe in and, and fight for what you believe in. But at the same time, maybe you're wrong. Yeah. You know, and that's okay. That's fine. Don't don't let that crumble you. Don't let that break. It's not like, you know, that shouldn't shatter your foundation as a human. You should just say, oh, maybe I'm wrong. I choose to believe this. I have these feelings. I have this evidence. You know, I'm probably getting too broad now. But just in talking about a general movie discussion, I liked that film. It made me laugh. Cool. Right. That's it. It didn't have to be, oh, it was a great film. It's been acknowledged by the American Film Institute and it won an Oscar. It's like, oh, that movie made you laugh. Right. So, okay, cool. Yeah. Hmm. I like that sentiment. Why, I don't understand why it can't be that simple, you know?
1: Right. So, I, I kind of want to wrap this up because yeah, yeah. Um, it's, it's getting close to my bedtime.
0: But um, it, what are you working on right now? Editing i um, currently editing my film, and I'm the AD on a, another second-year film. Okay. And looking forward to uh, – do you have a script for your uh, thesis yet? or uh... I have outlines. I have I'm, – I'm bouncing between a, uh, kind of a, a meditation on violence and masculinity, like I talked about before, or doing a uh, love letter to 80s kind of John Carpenter uh, animatronic – type stuff cool Uh, very inspired by Lovecraft as well nice I have one of the features that I wrote when I was in Korea I'm trying to figure out a way to to adapt that into a short so
1: cool Uh, any recommendations for our listeners
0: films yeah Uh, we talk about about boxing movies a lot check out uh, Robert Wise's The Setup
1: Robert Wise director of The Sound of Music correct
0: and The Haunting, correct.
1: two great films. The setup predates both of them. Mm-hmm. Okay, cool. Um, what else, what can I get out of here? You're not on social media so no one can follow you. Correct. This is the, the most intimate discussion you're ever gonna get with Matt Willits, unless you meet him in person. And then I'll run away from you. Any any Any, <laughs> any parting thoughts or wisdom? Anything about film school you wanna tell students before they get here? Quit now. All right, that's good. Yeah, all right. I'm good. You're good. Anything good. else to add? That's to it. Add Matthew. <laughs> <That was> it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. This was uh, Matthew Willets, and um, until next time. Bye bye.